up to the back. Two flyouts for Crawford in the game. The wind first pitch. A swing and a line drive. It is caught by the shortstop Arias. And John Meads has done it in Seattle. He has thrown a no-hitter as the Orioles take down the Mariners six to nothing. John Meads. That was John Means throwing the first Orioles no-hitter since 1991 when Bob Malacki, Mike Flanagan, Mark Williamson, and Greg Olson combined to no-hit the Oakland Athletics. First Orioles solo no-hitter since Jim Palmer no-hit the same Oakland Athletics on August 13th, 1969. I am your host, Paul Valley, here on the Bat Around, joined by my co-host, Zach Goodman, in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. The Bat Around is brought to you by Chesapeake employers insurance your workers compensation insurance specialist and zach not much to talk about today huh no not at all not even a no hitter um not i guess i should say two no hitters this week we'll talk about that other guy <laughs> here in, in, in a little bit he, he doesn't even count let's just forget about that but guy. but john means man and it's so funny because not even a week before that i'm driving in my car and you know how sometimes you have those little conversations with yourself while you're driving and I thought I said to myself, "Man, I don't think that you can." I, I, is that still playing? No, it's not still playing. It's muted. So, oh, okay. Um, and so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, "Man, I am never going to see the Orioles." Throw. I'm telling you, it wasn't even a week before John means no hitter. I said to myself, "I don't think I'm ever going to see the Orioles throw a no hitter." I've never seen one. The last time it happened, I was. Not even seven years old. I was six, about to turn seven, and a co- actually exactly two months away from my seventh birthday. And I look at that, and I don't even count it. You know, it's a, it's a no hitter. It's cool, but like four pitchers combined for the no hitter. Right. I mean, I, I look at four pitchers doing it. It's not the same. I mean, you have one guy who gets you twenty-seven outs over nine innings. I mean, how many guys go complete games these days? It's it's so rare that that happens. And then when you have a guy who gets all twenty-seven outs you know, and doesn't allow a hit. I mean, that it's just so uncommon these days. And like you said, I mean, whoever thought an Oriole would throw it, especially right now in the midst of a rebuild, even though the Orioles are kind of turning it around lately, the farm system's getting better, you don't expect the Orioles to throw a no-hitter right now. You expect a team like the White Sox and Carlos Rodon to throw a no-hitter, not the Orioles. So, I mean, I, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I haven't seen one in my lifetime. I didn't know if I would ever. Um, I figure Grayson Rodriguez, maybe D.L. Hall, one of those guys would would maybe have a, have a bid at it one time, but... I know Jason Hamill was pretty close in 2012, but he couldn't finish it off. Um, but the Orioles, you know, they got no hit in 2015, so it's not like it hasn't happened to them. But they haven't thrown one themselves since, you know, like you said, 1991. And then realistically, like if we're looking at a more traditional approach, 1969 with Jim Palmer. Yeah, and it's that's that's one domino to fall. The other one, I've yet to see a 20-game winner yeah. in an Orioles uniform. I think Steve Stone won 25 games in like 1985. I could be wrong about that, but I think he's the only one in my lifetime to win 20 games. I watched Mike Mussina win 19 games twice, 18 games once. Uh, I've seen a few Orioles that had 16 wins in like August and not get there. 
So Steve Stone won 25 games in 1980. 1980. Okay, so I've never seen a 20-game winner. Uh, even, even if I had seen it, technically, I don't think I would have been able to remember it. But even still, right. that that's the next one to fall. And John Means right now is on pace for 20 wins. Now, look, last year the team leader in wins in a 60-game season was Travis Lakins with three. John Means already yeah. has four. Uh, Matt Harvey, who was a bad luck loser, La- tough luck loser, excuse me, last night. Uh, he's 3-2 and two with a 3-6-0 ERA. We're going to talk about that here in a little bit. But the story this week, the story of this season outside of Trey Mancini is John Means. Yeah, I mean, it can be no one else. He, he comes out and throws a no-hitter like, like we talked about before. No one, you know, no one expected this from John Means. He was a guy who was never really a top prospect. He was never really touted as anyone who was going to make it as a great pitcher in the major leagues and now he's finding himself at the top in my opinion at least of the of the American League I I don't think there's a better pitcher right now I mean you look at Garrett Cole Shane Bieber there are some great pitchers who are getting paid a lot more than John Means is but I think John Means is right at the top of it right now um you know he's very low in the array it's like one three right now It's, it's extremely low and every time he's come out, he's given the Orioles a chance to win. The Orioles are not a team who wins a, a ton of games. I mean, they're you know they've only won 15 up to this point, and John Means is, has won four of them. So it's it's very impressive what he's doing. And I mean, we, we just gotta we can't take this for granted. He's he's really well, playing well. Well, and you mentioned that he's there's not a pitcher pitching better. You can't really say that anybody's pitching better. Then John Means, but Rodon then there J- in J- Chicago is five and zero with a zero point five eight ERA yeah. and a no hitter of his own. Uh, we can't forget about that what is, that, that guy's is doing. Insanely impressive. But John Means does lead the American League in WAR for pitchers. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, what what he's done is absolutely incredible. And look, you have so many people. <clears throat> excuse me, so many people after this start, after his start to the year, saying trade John Means. Uh, <sighs> Isn't the point of a rebuild to find a John Means? Right, right. That, that's and what they're I like, well, he's almost 30. He's 28 years old. Right. All right, and, and you mean to tell me you don't think John Means has seven, eight, nine years left in the tank? Uh, what, what what are we doing here? I mean, he's not a guy who throws hard, so it's not like his arm is going to be dead. He throws by, hard enough. I mean, he throws 93, 94, but it's not like he, he's one of those guys who's going to need Tommy John at some point because he's throwing 99 on every single pitch. I know, knock on wood, but... I mean, look, he, he's a guy who is is not extremely, you know, he's not overpowering like someone like an Errolis Chapman is, where he's throwing 100 every single pitch. And you look at it, you don't think he's going to last, you know, until he's 39 if you're throwing 100 miles an hour on every single pitch. But th- my point is, is that John Means is more of a finesse guy, and he might be able to last that long because of being a finesse guy. Well, and, and to all these people, there was a guy, I'm not going to say his name because I don't want to throw him under the bus too much, but there was a guy on a, on a Facebook Orioles page who was saying, you trade John Means because up until about seven starts ago, he gives you r- roughly five innings a start, and he's 28, and he, he'll never, his value will never be higher. It's like, well, no. His last 11 starts, his ERA is 166. He, right. he has eight starts of six innings or more. He has three starts of seven innings and no runs allowed. Uh, two 12-strikeout games, a no-hitter. John Means is one of the top pitchers not just in the American League, in all of baseball right Right now. Is he going to have a start where he gives up four runs in five innings? Probably. Everyone does. Everyone does. Right. You know, it's rare that a guy has... You're talking Jacob deGrom when you talk about a guy who's going to have 30 starts, yeah. 30 quality starts, right? Uh, 
this is just everyone falters at some point. He's going to, and then people are going to come back out and say, "Oh, trade John Means. He gave up four, you know, four runs in five innings." But no, no, this is what you look for in a rebuild. The Orioles have found their guy. They found their ace. You've got to hold on to this guy. Well, and then when you think about that, and that DL Hall and Grayson Rodriguez could be here next year. If not next year, then 2023. Insane one, two, three punch. And, and, and then John Means becomes arguably your number three. Right. Maybe. I mean, what he's done, he's earned the right to be the number one. Maybe like three, you know, three co aces, I guess. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. We've never seen it. Not since 1971 when the Orioles had 420 game winners. And, and this is assuming that Grayson Rodriguez and DL Hall become what they're expected to be. And so far, so good for them. Grayson Rodriguez, uh, what was it, four scoreless innings with one yep. hit allowed in his debut. Uh, D.L. Hall, four and a third innings of two-hit ball with ten strikeouts in his debut. And we're going to talk about that later in Orioles banter. Man, the the Aberdeen Ironbirds are 4-0, and and their starters have allowed one earned run in 19 innings. Yeah, it, it, it's it's amazing. I actually saw them on opening day. Uh, I saw Grayson Rodriguez pitch, and it's, it's a sight to see. I said this on my podcast last night, but I think Grayson... Rodriguez, when you watch him pitch, he reminds me of Steven Strasburg. I, I look at him and I go, this is a guy who just dominates on the hill. It's the physical presence, um, you know, the kind of the way he throws. It's just, it's an immense presence. And like you said, the Ironbirds are, are winning a lot of games right now. They're, they're playing very well. Well, every every Orioles minor league affiliate, with the exception of Norfolk, who's 1-3, and, and they've run into the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp, who I've watched some of those games. I, I, I picked up that minor league TV package. And nice, nice. The, the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp are good. Yeah, they're they, they Miami. Are, so yeah, they they are good. They they hit the ball. They, they their defense is impeccable. Uh, they they have a lot of speed. They have a lot, I watched two dudes hit home runs for them. Um, I want to say Lewin Diaz yep. and um, God, who was the other one? He's in their number eight overall prospect, and I can't remember his name right now. Uh, if you say it, I'll know it. Is he an outfielder? I believe he's. Yeah, I believe the guy. Yeah, I, I'm going to bring it up for us. But those guys each hit home runs on Wednesday that I don't think it still haven't landed. Uh, that that Jacksonville uh, Jumbo Shrimp team is that they're a force. They are very very good in the. Uh, Jesus Sanchez. Jesus Sanchez. That, yeah. That's who it is. That's who it is. Um, th- that team is very good if you yes. watch them play. They, they play fundamentally sound baseball. But getting back to John Means, okay, one runner reaches base, and it was on a drop third strike, a pitch that uh, Pedro Severino probably should have handled. Uh, yeah, that probably. A good catcher handles. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit, too. Um. And so many people are saying, it's a stupid rule. Drop third strike, it's a stupid rule. Well, no. I it, mean, it's been the rule forever. It's I mean, been the rule forever. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, what are we going to do? Not Say that's a perfect game? It's not. Technically, yeah, no. Yeah, it's, it's still as close to perfect as you can get without right. being perfect. He still faced the minimum because he was a, the guy was erased uh, trying to steal second base on the very next pitch. So, John means 27 up, 27 down, one base runner on a drop third strike. But, guys, it's not a perfect game. It's as perfect no. as you can get without being perfect. But it's not. Look, I don't take issue with it. it, it seeing that happen in the, when you're watching that game and you see it happen in the third inning, you're like, "Damn it!" Because you don't want a guy to reach on a drop third strike. Right. But in the third inning, you're not like, "Oh man, that could be the difference in a perfect game." You're not thinking like that. No, I, actually, someone did tweet it. I, I I'm not positive who it was, but someone actually tweeted, "There goes John Means' perfect game." I, I it's it's unbelievable. And, and like, go figure. Yeah, it's amazing. <clears throat> um, and MLB.com, the MLB app was behind because for the entire game almost it said perfect game above yeah. the, the above the score or the score on their little scoreboard um until they finally changed it to no hitter look guys it's the rule 
it's the rule. You don't like the rule, don't like the game. You know what I mean? But that it, it, it is the rule. I don't take issue yes. with it. John Means was still damn phenomenal. Right. What he did was at, this is a guy who had never recorded an out in the eighth inning in his entire career. Right. Never thrown a complete game. Uh, never had a complete game shutout. And he throws a no-hitter, damn near perfect game. It was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it, it really was. It, it was really the was. third no-hitter of the season, Wade Midley. Last night, and it's so funny because on this show last week, Zach and I were both like, Wade Miley's still pitching? Yeah, I mean, shock. And and, and it's like he was listening to us and said, I got something for you, because he goes out last night and throws the fourth no-hitter of the season. In my mind, it's the fifth. It's the fifth no hitter. If you count Bumgarner, Ma- Madison Bumgarner. Look, if you're gonna if you're gonna make this stupid rule where in double headers you play seven inning games, if you're gonna let Garrett Cole lead the league in complete games last year, right? Yet never threw a nine inning game, then this is a no hitter. Yeah, I mean you made the rule. This this is you're playing a seven inning game. Therefore, he allowed no hits over seven innings. Yeah. That's a no hitter. You can't make this. And I'm trying to kind of mind my tongue a little bit. I loathe the idea of seven-inning games in doubleheaders. I can't stand it. It's not Major League Baseball. We've talked about this on the show before. I was so happy, even though the Orioles lost last night, and we're going to get into that also. We have a lot to talk about today. We do. Even though the Orioles lost last night, I am so much happier that they got that game in because the only thing that I didn't want to see is a seven-inning doubleheader against the Boston Red Sox. No thank you. I, I guess the seven innings made sense <coughs> in, in the COVID season of 2020 because you limit exposure to guys as much as possible. I and guess that's, that's why they're why, doing it this that's year. Why, yeah, but I mean, it feels like almost every team has a pretty high vaccination rate. Um, it feels like, I mean, there were no new positives yesterday in the latest round of testing. Like, these guys are not contracting COVID, not spreading it. It's like, why are we still doing this seven inning thing? It makes no sense. It's uh, terrible. I, I, my, my biggest fear with that is that it's going to be part of the new CBA. I hope and, not. And, and it, the days of the nine inning double headers are behind us, and I hate I, that. Seven innings, it's not baseball. Seven innings is not real baseball. It's 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 you know basically a little more than two thirds of a baseball game. It's little league. Right. It's thirty and over. Hey, we have a time limit because they we, they need the field after this. Right. You have a billion dollar stadium with that that nobody else is allowed to play on. You should be playing nine inning games exactly every single time out. Every single time out. I, and and I there's no good reason not to. You can't give... I mean, COVID is not a reason because there's Co- nobody COVID positive. COVID was a good reason. Last year. Last, Last year. year. Now right. now that... And, and look, we're not being... I am fully vaccinated. Are, Same here. And Zach's fully vaccinated. So we are getting back towards that normalcy. COVID is still as good of reason as any. But when... Uh, this is the last season I ever want to see seven inning uh, no hitters. Right. I mean double double headers. But my, my my point being when I say that too, it's not a lot of the players are vaccinated. I mean, the, right. I, I think the Yankees were just reached eighty five percent, you know, of their entire organization, which is like you know the majority. So it, it's at this point, you know, we can kind of turn the corner and say, all right, let's get back to nine inning double headers. But I I hope, like you said, they don't put that in the new CBA. Yeah, absolutely. Now, getting back to the Orioles here, uh, they did lose to the Red Sox. And not to gloss over Wade Miley's no-hitter. He threw a no-hitter. Eight strikeouts, one walk. There were two errors, so he allowed three base runners uh, last night. But Wade Miley, you can't take anything away from him. He's 4-2 with a 2.00 ERA, throws a no-hitter. Look, he never did it in Baltimore. I remember a game against the Yankees. I believe it was his first start of 2016. He went five innings and walks. He allowed one hit, and he walked seven. Walked seven. 
He had a five and a half ERA with the Orioles, and he's out there in Cincinnati throwing no hitters. He's p- pitched in a World Series with the Astros. Look, Wade Miley, nothing against you, but where was all this in Baltimore? Why couldn't you do this yeah, in Baltimore? I, I don't. I remember being pretty excited when he was traded to Baltimore. Yeah. I, I was thinking, oh, we got you know the, the Orioles actually got a, a pretty solid starter. It was a good track record and. Never pitched well in Baltimore. Just he, never did. Yeah, it was it was just one of those things, man. Look, he's pitched well at literally everywhere else. Maybe it's Camden Yards. I, maybe he just didn't fit in well there. I don't know. Yeah. I, I guess we'll never know. But yeah. <laughs> like you said, everywhere else, Wade Miley has been pretty dominant. With Houston, we talked about it last week. He he won 14 games with Houston, which is just yeah. unbelievable. Wade Miley. Like, he helped he got, uh, helped get the Brewers in the playoffs in right. 2018. Like It just doesn't make any sense the, to me. The Wade Miley that was in Baltimore. A totally different guy. Totally, totally different, different guy. Anyway, or Orioles lose to the Red Sox 6-2 last night. They've lost four straight to the Sox following the season opening sweep. Austin Hayes, hero of the game for the Orioles. He had three hits in the walk. He reached base a fifth time on a 106-mile-per-hour line drive that was ruled an error because it bounced off Marvin Gonzalez's glove. He should have caught it. But that's a yeah. tough error. That that ball was absolutely. It was the hardest hit ball he had all night. Nothing absolutely wrong with hitting released. the ball hard. I, I, you know, that's yeah. always good. Ryan Mountcastle really heating up. Three hits yeah. and a home run last night. Why is Pedro Severino batting fourth? In this lineup, why, why on earth is it the 220 batting average, or the one home run, or the two RBIs, or the 24 strikeouts and 85 at bats? Why on earth is Pedro Severino batting fourth? Well, I, w- on I, would, this team? I would say it's lack of better options, but you have a guy named Freddie Galvis who's yeah. hitting the ball really well. You have a guy named Michael Franco who's hitting the ball decently well. No, Michael Franco's been terrible recently. But, but be- better than Severino. It's my fault. At number four. I, I'm glad you brought up Michael Franco because it's my fault. It's my fault. He uh, there was a game about a week and a half ago where I maybe two weeks ago where I said, "Man, I, I have to admit I have been pleasantly surprised and very happy with Michael Franco." I don't think he has a hit since then. Yeah, he's like three for his last thirty somewhere around there. Yeah, so I, I'm not- pr- I'm pretty sure that three for thirty started in his next at bat after I completely um, gave him my stamp of approval. Yeah, he, he still is you know, one of the higher guys on the team in RBIs, though. Still hitting a, yeah, but a little it, bit better than Pedro Severino. I would still put him in the four-hole there over, over I, Pedro. I, I put Galvis there. Galvis is hitting over Galvis, 270. Yes. Galvis has looked fantastic the last month. Galvis should be the guy. A- um, absolutely. I, I like the 1-2-3 right now. I mean, you look at Mullins, you look at Hayes, you look at Mancini. That's a great 1-2-3. Obviously, Santander is on the shelf. You can't put Ryan Malcastle at four because he's not. You've got to keep him in that sixth spot where he's been excelling. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Freddie Galvis, that's your guy. That's that's who Brandon Hyde's got to go Absolutely. with. Absolutely. Now Zach's got to get stay in the fan on the line while we talk about this a little bit more. Matt Harvey allows four runs, zero earned runs. As Pat Vileka, as a Pat Vileka error extended the inning, and it really was the error that completely turned that game around because it would have been three up, three down in that fourth inning. But the error allowed a runner to reach base. They get the next guy out. Then the next thing you know, RBI another base hit, RBI single, three run homer, and it's four nothing. The Orioles. The most frustrating thing about this entire game is that the Orioles had the Orioles had Zach a base runner in all nine innings. They never went one, two, three in that game last night. They had a base runner in all nine innings. They had multiple base runners in four separate innings. They scored two runs. They only struck out four times. They scored two uh, runs. Hitting with runners in scoring position, definitely one of the things they need to improve on. And I think, you know, we, we talk about the hitting. It would get better if they had a second baseman who actually could hit. 
You know, you have Ramon Urias, you have Rio Ruiz, and you're, you look at that, you know, seven, eight, nine. It just, once you get down there, you have no hope of hitting with runners in scoring position because these guys are batting under 200. So it's just, it's frustrating. They, well, they, they, they get guys on base and they can't score them. Well, and we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit in the Orioles banter. Pat Vileka, I think, should be playing second base every day. I would agree with you. He's he, the best he, in the three. He's, he's been hitting the ball. He had two really great long at-bats. They both resulted in outs last night, but he's he's seeing a lot of pitches. He's putting the ball in play. He's been really hot recently. Yep. Put him at second base. Rio Ruiz, I, get that DFA going in the next two weeks. I mean, he is doing nothing. The, the, he has proven time nothing. and time again that you can't trust him at the no. major league level. You want to sound off about somebody else, though, who just got DFA'd. Yeah, so people are kind of upset. I mean, People are really like more upset than I ever thought they would be about this. But Albert Pujols was DFA'd this week uh, from the Angels, longtime Angel, longtime Cardinal, um, MLB legend, no doubt about it. Hall of Famer, first ballot. This is one of the greatest hitters of all time. The Angels are trying to compete this year. They're they're really not playing well. Um, they're you know they're not in first place where they want to be. They're not in second place where they want to be. Um, you know they're not even close to a wild card team right now. The Angels are trying to compete, and they've been trying to do this for years and years and years, and they haven't gotten there. You have a guy who's Albert Pujols, who's hitting 198. He's not producing at all. He hasn't produced really for the past two years now, in 2020 or 2021. You have a guy who's basically a, you know another dead spot in your order, and you are trying to compete. You are trying to win the division. You as a GM, you as an owner, you have to do what's best for your club. You have to DFA Albert Pujols. I don't. I, I don't care if he's a legend. I don't care. If you know whatever he's done, I mean, he, he's he's been a great player for them for a long time. But it is time to move on and get to someone who can actually get you in that contending spot because that's not Albert right now. Um, and if they give him, if they give him an awesome retirement ceremony when that happens, great. That's going to be awesome. I hope they they treat him perfectly after that. But right now they've got to do what's best for the team. It's a harsh business. Baseball is a business, and, and and the Angels are trying to win. They're trying to make money. The guy's 40, 41 years old. Right. Look, his first eleven seasons, he got him that big contract. In in uh, L.A., his first 11 years in St. Louis, 30, 11, 30 homer seasons, 10, 100 RBI seasons. His only year without 100 RBIs was his last season when he had 99. Yeah. All right. He batted 326 in 11 seasons, 299 or better every year. Since signing that contract with L.A., three 30 homer seasons, four 100 RBI seasons. He's batted 256 in 10 seasons. Yeah. Never hit better than 285. Only did that once. The next highest was 272 that he did once. He has not lived up. To no. that contract. Not even close to the numbers right. that got him that contract. Look, it's a harsh business. It's a harsh reality. Harsh Albert business. Pujols is over the hill. Yep. His career is basically over. So he might he might latch on with somebody else. Sure. I mean, I, I think the White Sox were in, in the talks Be- with because him. Because he's Albert Pujols. Right. But at the end of the day, if you want to contend, you can't have a roster spot tied up by exactly. a guy like Albert Pujols who can't play defense, can't run, and now can barely hit. With that in mind, we have Stan the Fan Charles on the line. Stan, really sorry to make you wait so long. How are you this morning? I'm fine. I'm enjoying uh, hearing the, ban- the banter. Um, your opinion on Albert Pujols, absolute Hall of Famer. He, he, five years to the day after he retires, he will get into the Hall of Fame. Uh, but this is something that needed to happen in L.A., was it not? Yeah, it, it needed to happen in L.A., and it wouldn't have shocked me if it happened like last year or the year before. I mean, he's been he's been trending so far down on what he was. Uh, and, you know, that's a lot of money for a team to eat if they had done it two years ago. They essentially sort of Chris davis him through uh, to the last year of the contract, and yep. now they had to, had to let him go. But i got to tell you guys, I watch, because I play fantasy baseball, I watch an awful lot of baseball. 
he's one of the least of their concerns. Their bullpen is so god-awful out there. Uh, just amazing uh, that whatever they do to try and win by getting rid of Albert Pujols is negated by that bullpen. It's just absolutely god-awful. Well, and that was a glaring hole for them to start the year. I, I think I mentioned that. Um, when the season started, was that their bullpen? You know, they have a great they have a great offense. They have a, a, a good enough rotation, but that bullpen was going to be their weak point. And and Stan, what is LA doing that they aren't getting every piece necessary to get the best player in the world on the biggest stage year in and year out? Um, they've just they've had they they've really swung and missed quite a bit in the pitching category. You know, this year they finally pieced together through the acquisition of Bundy a year ago, uh, the growth of Andrew Heaney, and I'm trying to think, Canning hasn't pitched well, uh, but they, they've never really supported the offense with with big-time uh, pitching. Um, you know, their, their best pitcher over the last 12, 12 years or so was Jared Weaver. And he was—he had a sort of a seesaw career. So until they really uh, surround that team with some really good starting pitching, they're not going to be able to do too much. And let's be honest—they've—they've they've really swung and missed. I won't call Albert Pujols a, a total miss, but Josh Hamilton, total miss. And they yeah. put huge dollars into Josh Hamilton about eight years ago, nine years ago. He was a, a swing and miss. And I won't call Anthony Randone a swing and miss, but he's certainly not playing at the level that he played at he's stay when, on the when field. he was a Washington yeah. National. Got to stay yeah. on the field. He's been hurt most of his time there. Yep. Stan, when you look yep. at you know a contract like Albert Pujols, you look at a contract like Chris Davis, I mean, it, it seems to me that these long contracts for these sluggers that are you know getting on the maybe wrong side of 30, it doesn't seem like the smartest idea. I mean, once you get to that 8th, that ninth, that 10th year of the contract, it seems to be that it, you know, it kind of goes downhill. So do you think more teams are going to start to stay away from these long mega contracts for these aging stars? I think they're. I think the players are going to be hard pressed, and their agents are going to be hard pressed to get them those 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 length of contracts. You know, right? I, I don't think we would be looking at Chris. First of all, it's interesting. Pujols. Remember, he had all those foot problems. Those those really robbed him of of the basic strength he had as a hitter, which are those incredibly strong legs. Um, you know, so they they robbed them of that. Chris Davis, to me, when we his, when we study the history of what happened with him, I think he's been destroyed by the shifts. Oh, absolutely, uh, definitely. Which which affected his psychology. But none of us would have really been bashing that contract had it been a four or five year contract. You know, because you you go by the second year, you go, boy, we got we got a stinker here and there were yeah. five more years left and the club clearly wasn't going to eat that contract. Uh, so you're stuck with a, a dead fish in, in your, uh, you know, in your kitchen and it stinks for five years. But if it's a five year contract and you say after two years, boy, we, we, we don't have you by the third, third year, early in the fourth year, you're sort of moving along you, you know, uh, when when you have a five-year contract. So I think you're going to see a lot more four- and five-year deals 
with a higher average salaries, you know, average yearly salaries. Well, yeah, the the only guy that I can even think of that has lived up to one of these big mega contracts, and you're talking guys like David Price, Albert Pujols, Josh yeah. Hamilton. Right. The right. only guy that's lived up to one of those contracts is Max Scherzer. He is the only one. He, yeah, yeah. And you see you make the, a good point. He really has. And you see what the Nats did with Steven Strasburg. They signed him up to a kind of a you know another mega deal, and now he really hasn't stayed healthy. You know, even starting last year and now into this year. So yeah, it's, right. it's these these big yeah, you contracts. have to be you know tying up those assets. You're, you're much better off giving the like the deal that uh, that Trevor Bauer signed. You're yeah. much better off paying the higher average salary right. and keeping the years committed down, you know, because, you know, remember Andy McPhail, his big phrase, there's no such thing as a bad one-year contract. Yeah, it, it, even even with the Dodgers who are really reeling right now, you mentioned Trevor Bauer. He has, he, I think he signed for two years. He has an opt-out after this year, but he's making $40 yeah. million each of the first Forty years. million a year, but... But you're, you know, a team like that that can afford that. Right. That was a very smart, strategic way to handle that. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe get yourself another title or two uh, before yeah. you have to really think about. That is wild, though. What are the Dodgers? I think they're four and thirteen. Four and last 14. seventeen. Four and fourteen yeah. after their loss last four. night. Yeah. Another great contract example: Jacoby Ellsbury. Um, and and I've heard the Yankees are going to be over the luxury tax if they lose in court to Jacoby Ellsbury. There's a whole like dispute going on right now with with his salary. So um, because he is, I guess, apparently still under contract with the Yankees. So yeah, these, these long contracts. I mean, they're they're just such a risk. Uh, they're really so high risk for these these teams. Talk talk about a bad contract. I can't yeah. remember the last time that guy was on a baseball field. Maybe twenty seventeen. It's been a while. It's been a really long time. Now, Stan, you mentioned. I mean, how would you feel? How would you feel right now if you're the Phillies with the contract that Bryce Harper signed? I mean, now he's having a a, a really nice season this year, but uh, that's not looking like a, a great long term investment. Yeah, and Manny not- Machado's hitting. Manny Machado's hitting about 220 right now. Yeah, and Tatis is in about 215. At least the Padres were able to build around those guys, whereas I don't think the Phillies have built around Harper at all. I mean, they just don't have a competitive team around Harper yet. Yeah, I, I, you look at JT Realmuto, he's he's a good piece. Right. Um, but you have Andrew McCutcheon, who's, what, 35, 36, 37 years old now, leading off for them. Reese Hoskins, who's an all-or-nothing guy, uh, protecting him in the lineup. I, I like Bryce Harper. I like what he's done in Philly. He's going to have a 400 OBP. He's going to hit 30 home runs. He's going to drive in 100 for them. Uh, they want the average up there, which it, it is this year, but you're still waiting for that other uh, that other shoe to drop and for Harper's average to finish here at like 254. But they're a little they're a little bit the Phillies are a little bit like the Angels and uh all of a sudden they won 5 games in a row this week, you know. Yeah, the Phillies came on strong at the end of last year. Their bullpen is so much better yeah. this year. Last year it was historically bad. Now, granted, in a small sample size, but they were awful last year. The bullpen's a lot better this year. They're getting some solid pitching out of their starting rotation. The Phillies look like they have a chance to overtake that division right now with every other team kind of hovering right around 500. Um, do the Phillies have the opportunity here, Stan, to kind of take the, take the reins of this division? You know, it, it's interesting. Atlanta has really stumbled out of the gate, and the Mets haven't been that great. And all of a sudden, Philly, you know, shocks the hell out of you by winning a four-game series, you know, sweeping the Milwaukee Brewers, who would look like one of the surprise teams in all of baseball, and then winning last night, so they've won five in a row uh, to go over 500 for the season. 
they, you know, they, they have an interesting mix. I've always liked Girardi as a manager. He's going to be challenged this year. And again, I think their biggest challenge is health in the rotation and, and whether or not that bullpen has enough legs on it to, to last the season. Well, yeah, that, that, that NL East, nobody except for the Phillies right now seems to want to have it. You look at the Phillies, they've won five in a row. Mets have won three in a row. Marlins have won four in a row. And yet three out of the five teams are still under 500 in that division. In a division that many expected to be the best division in baseball. Not looking and out of, no, out of nowhere now, the Marlins, I think, have won four straight. Yeah, they, they, they've yeah, won they're, four they're, in a row. They're like the Orioles of that division. They're, they're in last place, I think, or next to last. But they're, I think, one game under five hundred for the season. Yeah, they're fifteen and sixteen. They're two yep. games. They're two games back of first place and a half game back of a half game up on last place. So it's yep. it's been a. Are, are the Phillies the only team over five hundred in that division right now? No, the Mets. The Mets have won three in a row to get to fourteen and thirteen. Okay. Okay. Now. Uh, Stan, you mentioned the Orioles, and we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about John Means throwing the Orioles' first no-hitter what, since... What, did he do anything this week? Yeah, what, what, what happened with that guy this week? Orioles' first yeah. no-hitter since 1991, first no-hitter by a starting pitcher since Jim Palmer in August of 1960... Um, yeah, August of nineteen sixty-nine. August 69. Yeah. yeah. I was 18 years old then, guys. Ah, no, you're, you're <laughs> way younger than that. Come on now. Yeah, was I'll this... be 70 on my next birthday, so... It's been a while. That's one way of putting it, yeah, mildly. Was, was this the best pitching performance by an Oriole of all time? Well, you know, I've probably seen an awful lot of their games, but I don't know. I, you know, it sure seems like it when you hear the 25 out of 27 first pitch 20, strikes. 26 uh, out of 27. Yeah. 26 out of 27 uh, first pitch strikes. The 12 strikeouts, no walks. Uh, I mean, it was a dominating performance. I think the only thing that mitigates it being the great, the the best pitching performance, is what the Mariners are going through right now. And I'm not trying to diminish the the outing by John Means, but boy, they are really struggling offensively right now. Yeah, the Mariners uh, are only in it because of their pitching right now. Their their yeah. offense is, I think, they're the highest average on teams from like 256. Yeah. I mean, look, it was a fantastic performance, and uh, I'm not taking any. I'll tell you the one thing I will take away from it, and I tried to get, I I was going to ask Hyde this question after the game, but somebody had mentioned something to do with the umpiring behind home plate. And he said, I don't want to go there. I want to enjoy this. I don't want to look at the negativity. So I waited until yesterday, before the game yesterday, and I asked him, how much he's going to enjoy the um, the electronic umpire behind home plate, you know, in the next couple of years. And he said, you're really asking me to go there? He goes, you're putting me on the spot. And he wasn't ready, and he started thumping and saying that he really likes the human element. That, that game, I see more poor umpiring behind home plate now. This whole pitch framing thing is just absolutely... You want to Google something that's an absolute disgrace. Look at the last pitch of the Marlins-Giants game last night. Uh, the shortstop they have, the uh, Japanese shortstop, you, Kim. Uh, Padres-Giants. Pa- what did I say? I'm Marlins, sorry. Marlins, Marlins. No, but I, I, said I, Marlins. I, I was watching Anyway, it was the Padres happened. and the Giants. Jake McGee was pitching for the Giants, and I think he was 3-2 th- and two on Kim. Yep. 
and the pitch was not even close to a strike. It was four to five inches inside. It, it has to be a historically oh. bad year for umpires. So I, I have not it, noticed it as much as I have this year about how bad umpiring has been. And, and I'll tell you, Zach, I'd love for you to sound off on this one week. You know, I love the term pitch framing. You talk mm-hmm. about a euphemism for cheating. That's all it is. It's cheating. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's kind of more making a making a pitch that's really close be more you know more or less borderline. It's um, it's, it's, it's the best cheating. way to put it, I guess. It's cheating. It's yeah, taking I mean, pitches it, that can, aren't. It's taking pitches that aren't really strikes and framing them as if that's some kind of skill. Uh, and the the electronic umpiring will take that away out of the game. You know, well, and that is you know I will give Hyde credit for one thing. I asked him that question of about 10 days ago, whether he's happy or happy with the way his, his catchers catch the ball, because I, I, it seems like every game there's something happening like what ruined the perfect game the other day, a ball getting away from Severino, a, a ball getting away from Cisco. He did answer that very well. He said the, the, the way they're teaching catching now, there's this emphasis on catching off of one knee, which is, you know, not the way most people learn how to catch. And and this pitch framing, the way they want you to receive the ball. And he said, this is an epidemic throughout baseball. And I've been paying attention to it since he told me that. And it is. It's not. The Orioles aren't alone in that, you know, right now. Well, Stan, uh, and speaking of the catching, and we talked about this last year. We talked about it in the offseason. We talked about it to start this year. The Orioles' catchers are bad. There's, really there's, bad. There's no getting around it. They're they're bad. They're awful. And, Absolutely and, awful. And and, you, and I you know again I'm not going to make this a weekly whipping boy. You gotta you gotta explain to me what purpose having Chance Cisco on this major league I, roster I, I, is at this point. We have Rich Dubroff on the show last week, and he said people seem to think that he hasn't gotten enough playing time. No, he's gotten plenty of playing he's time. He's had and, three years now. And, 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 and he's never performed. Right. You know, yep. and, and yep. the thing about that's it why is... His, that's why his playing time is decreasing now. Over the past couple of years, I think he's been given ample opportunity. And believe me, with, with Pedro Severino, one home run, two RBIs, if Chance Cisco was doing anything that was better than that offensively, he'd be playing. We face 70% right-handed starting pitching. He'd be in the lineup. He's a, a total non-entity as a ball player now. Absolutely. Very sad and because this was a guy that, that did, if nothing else, he looked like the hit tool would make him a solid major league contributor offensively. And he's just turned into an absolute zero as an offensive player. Well, and the thing is, the Orioles have nobody to replace him with. Rutschman's right. not ready. If you've watched him in his first four games, he's not ready. Um, Nick Chufo has a broken hand. Austin wins. You know what you have in Austin wins. Yeah. Taylor Taylor Davis. Uh, you know the, the they have. Uh, you don't think, guys? You don't think that a a guy who the Nationals had in spring training this year? I know he can't hit that well, but at least Jonathan Lacroix 
might be yeah, able that's, to that's, nurse that's, something more out of your pitchers. That's a better option. That's who I was yeah. going to mention. Him and yeah. Matt Wieters is a free agent right now. Look, I, yeah. I, I, we're not thinking that he's going to find the fountain of youth, but Matt Wieters can call a game, he and, he, and, he, and, and he's a he's a good defensive catcher. Albeit he's thirty five years old now, and the body's yeah. probably a little worn down. But what what Lucroy or Wieters could mean to, could, could bring to this team has to be far and away better than what you're getting out of Pedro Severino and Chan Cisco. There's also a catcher yeah. on waivers right now, Jack. Kruger, um, I believe he was DFA'd by the Angels. Uh, got called yeah. for a day and then DFA'd the next day. He could be an option as well. Um, seems to have pretty decent uh, catching they ability behind the plate. They, so. they seem to be actually very settled on these two guys in no rush. Which makes no sense. To, yeah, it just doesn't. Well, and by the way, Zach, not to not to correct you, I read late last night that Larusa has said there's no fit in Chicago. Really? Okay, got it. For, yeah, for with with, uh, with uh, Pujols. He says, uh, I've got a stacked lineup, and there's I've got Abreu and Mercedes, yep. and there's no places. I love them to death. And he was predicting that whoever gets him is going to get a very determined player. You know, uh, <laughs> nothing, nothing like adding a 41-year-old determined player. Uh, yeah, I know, can't imagine that he's going to latch on with anybody that's in the race. It would have to be a nostalgia thing for somebody like Detroit to have Pujols and Cabrera in the same lineup, something like that. But I, I can't imagine that Pujols will get, will have many suitors. Um, uh, yeah, but anyway, moving back to the Orioles, Stan, they lose last night to the Red Sox 6-2. to The most frustrating thing about that game, aside from the Valleca error that opened the floodgates there in the fourth inning, uh, well, it technically was, wasn't a Valleca error. It was a Matt Harvey error. Yeah, it was. It was just not a great play all the way around. It would have no, been. No, it was a lousy. It was a lousy play. But Harvey should have caught the ball. He should have, and it was. It, it would have been a one-two-three inning. Instead, you give up an RBI single to Hunter Renfro and a three-run homer to Bobby Dahlbeck, who entered the game zero for his last twenty-seven. Two of the. Two of the guys who have some of the most power in that lineup, but were the worst overall hitters in that lineup, yeah. are the ones that kill you in that game. But what killed you more, Stan, is the Orioles had at least one base runner in every inning last night, yeah. and yeah. they managed just two runs. You can't do that. No, nope, you can't do that. But boy, after the game when they entered, when we got the chance to talk to Matt Harvey, his energy level was—he was. You know the problem with Matt is. He's got enough talent to 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 turn this thing around and be a really useful pitcher for somebody. I'm not saying he's right for long term for the Orioles, but he hasn't, in my opinion, he hasn't made the total commitment to being a pitcher. He still thinks he can, at the key moments in time, he can revert back to being Matt Harvey. And he just isn't that pitcher anymore. He really lacks that 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 um, explanation mark pitch that you have when you got a guy at two strikes and you put him away with something. That at bat, like against Vasquez last night, that seemed like it lasted ten or eleven pitches. Eleven pitches. He just had he had nothing to offer that was going to throw that hitter off enough to miss. His breaking stuff just isn't. Dominant enough, he needs to. He needs to somehow find not the fountain of youth. He needs to find some kind of pitch that's whether it's a spitter, uh, speaking of cheating, or something that's going to really be tough for somebody not to foul off. And at key moments in time, he just is lacking that pitch. But his energy level after the game last night 
was just terrible. Yeah, I, it I, was I like saw... it was like his eyes had been open to what he really lacks. Uh, that's what it felt like. To yeah, me. I, I saw his, I saw his post game interview, and he had um, he said that physically he just didn't feel like he had it last night. He never felt good, never felt comfortable. Um, right, and, and you're right. The energy level was way down. It was just a guy who seemed like he was pretty much defeated from the jump yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Now, Stan, be, before we let you go, the yeah. Orioles. They are eleven and six. I believe that's a major league best. Eleven and six on the road, and they're right. four and eleven at home. What is the deal? Why can't they win at home? I've never been particularly good at answering those those kind of questions um, because I don't study. Uh, I would think that right now, let's see, they've played they played Boston and Seattle and on Oakland. the road. They play Wait a minute, hold on. I'm looking at the road games. So the road games on my schedule are the white games. So they play Boston, New York, Texas, Miami, Oakland, and Seattle on the road. And they've played the yeah, yeah. There, there's, there, I, you know, there isn't a rhyme or reason to that. They play I mean, basically I the same teams, home just, and away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it, Maybe it just, they just like bonding on the road. I don't know. Maybe their <laughs> wives are bothering them or something <laughs> like that. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Uh, there's nothing I can put, put my finger on that answers that question. And now they're also zero and seven in games where a win would have gotten them back to five hundred since they were four and four this year, which leads me to believe, Stan, that they're probably going to win today and lose <laughs> tomorrow. What are your thoughts on that? Um, you know, I think the the trouble they have getting to five hundred is they're they're while they're they're a pretty entertaining club for the most part. You know, there's enough there that. It keeps me wanting to see a little bit of growth here and there. Um, they're, they're limited, but I'll tell you, tonight is really one of those nights. I'm really anxious to see what Zach Lother can can bring to the table tonight. Yeah, you, know? you asked Brandon Hyde the question that broke the news in the in the post game press conference last night. You I wonder him. if the rest of the writing crew, because before the game, Rocket asked him that question, like, "Who's who's your starter?" He said, haven't made that decision yet. And then everybody was asking him about Harvey last night uh, or about the offense. And all of a sudden I said, wait a minute, there's an opening here. So I asked him that question. And uh, I'm really excited to see Zach Lother start the game. Yeah. Do you think he has I'll tell you, one of the most promising moments of the 2021 season to date, guys, was Dean Kramer's performance in Seattle the other night. That looked... Like like you want your future to look like, you know, for one night. He was he was very good, very good. Now the question is, was it because he found it again, or is it because he was facing a really bad Seattle lineup? I still think he missed with a lot of pitches, in my opinion. But he did. He he got away with a lot of them. He um, he, he got away with a lot of them, and that's probably because Seattle right now is in a real collective funk right now. Yep. But I've always been a believer that. Dean Kramer, his next game won't be out there on the mound against whoever it is. Going, well, geez, I I only was facing that horrible Seattle team. Yeah, confidence. Oh, absolutely. You know, when you build up confidence, it it doesn't. It, the confidence doesn't start to analyze who you did it against. You know. Yeah, you're you're only as good as your last start, and his last start was a good one. Like you said, that yeah. could breed some confidence here for him moving forward. Sam, we got to let you yeah. go. Always All great right. to talk to you. We'll talk to you next weekend. Talk to you next week, guys. Great talking to you. You too. Take care. 
That was Stan the Fan, Charles, joining us on the line here in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. Stan the Fan, Charles, has two great shows for you every week. And like everything else in the world, they're happening over Zoom. Every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley visit with a different guest from the world of baseball. And every Wednesday night, Stan and Gary Stein chat with a different newsmaker from the world of sports. This week, Stan and Ross caught up with Orioles legend Rick Dempsey. And Stan and Gary had a unique chat with Lacey DaCosta, the wife of Ravens GM Eric DaCosta, about what it's like for her during the NFL draft. Find these shows under the videos tab at facebook.com slash pressboxsports or at pressboxonline.com. Coming up Monday. Monday night at 6, you won't want to miss it when Stan and Ross catch up with Orioles legend and barbecue pit beef connoisseur Boog Pal. Stan's weekly shows are brought to you by C3 American Exteriors. Find them at C3America.com and call C3 American Exteriors to get roof and siding repairs for the cost of your home insurance deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. Call C3 at 410-401-9797. That's 410-401-9797. Or go to C3America.com for a free analysis. We got to get a break. When we get back, we are going to have Pete Mishu, the play-by-play man for the Norfolk Tides, on the line here in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. The annual MIAA Lacrosse Championships are coming live to Anne Arundel County for the first time ever. The MIAA Lacrosse Championships feature some of the nation's top lacrosse programs as well as the future stars of the game. Join us Tuesday, May 18th and Friday, May 21st at the Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium in Annapolis, Maryland. Tickets are on sale now. To learn more, go to MIAAChampionships.com. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. It takes time to get rich, flavorful coffee beans from the lush mountain regions of Colombia and Brazil to Royal Farms. But less than a minute to get yourself a delicious hot cup of the finest and freshest coffee in the world. Because Royal Farms' new Swiss-made coffee machines grind those rich, flavorful coffee beans and brew them one magnificent cup at a time. It's why Royal Farms makes the freshest and best coffee in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Glory Days Grill is celebrating their 25th anniversary this month, featuring their 12-ounce Silver Anniversary New York Strip Steak, the Smoky Thigh Wings, a Double Bacon and Cheddar Burger, the Strip Steak Sandwich, Barbecue Chicken Bowl, and their Silver Anniversary Turtle Cheesecake. Toast to 25 more years with Glory Days Grill's Silver Anniversary IPA, brewed by Virginia-based brewery Devil's Backbone, and take home a commemorative glass. Celebrate by entering any of their three contests online, winning trip the Devil's Backbone Brewing Company, free wings, or lots of other great prizes. Enter online at glorydaysgrill.com slash 25th anniversary. The 25th anniversary menu is available through June 20th. Come in for great food, good sports, and family fun. If it's happening in Baltimore sports and beyond, it's happening on Glenn Clark Radio. New Baltimore Ravens wide receiver, Rashad Bateman. Thank you, I appreciate it. Patrick Queen. Appreciate it, so. Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on, guys. He is Kevin Zeitler. Uh, thank you, very happy to be a part of this. Ravens kicker, Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely, thanks for having me on. John Angelos. Thanks a lot, good to be with you. Ryan Mountcastle. Thanks for having me on, guys. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Quarterback for the University of Maryland, Talia Tungavailoa. Thank you guys for having me. He is Jake 
K. Dobbins. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be home. Dickie V, Dick Vitale. Kyle, too diaper dandy. He is Mr. Cal Ripken Jr. Good chatting with you. Glenn and Kyle are live Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon, and archived anytime. Watch Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen to PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. For more than 40 years, K&S Automotive has been repairing, restoring, and maintaining foreign and domestic vehicles with a focus on exceptional workmanship and customer service. Everything from oil changes to major body work. Call K&S now at 410-235-6600 or go to knsimports.com. That's K&S at knsimports.com. The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, Luke Jackson profiles top. Orioles pitcher John Means and the role new pitching coach Chris Holt is taken with Means and the entire organization. Inside, Matt Kremnitzer reflects on Nick Markakis's career, and Bo Smolka looks at what to expect from the Ravens' 2020 draft class in their second season. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. All right, welcome back to the Bat Around here in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. And before you get Pete on the line, I'm sorry, I got to throw Zach under the bus here. So Zach, Zach calls Pete. Zach calls Pete, and Pete doesn't answer. So he calls him back again. There was some weird thing with the phone. He hangs up, and then all of a sudden Pete calls back. And Zach says to me... There's no green button, Paul. Zach, Zach, there is no Zach green says button. to me... How do I answer? No, there's no green button on this phone. You don't need. What there's do you no, mean there's green no, button? You there's pick, no answer you, button. You pick the <laughs> phone up off the receiver and you say yeah, hello. See, what I, do you I'm, mean? In, I'm in the age of cell phones where you gotta hit a oh, green button you, to answer the you, phone. You child. He picks the phone up off the receiver <laughs> and he says, "How do I answer?" Well, I'm like, "There's no green button here. What, what do you, what do you gotta hit to get Pete on the line?" Like Zach, it, that was look. That was a special moment, it, man. It's not my finest moment, but look, I, I grew up in the age <laughs> of cell phones where we actually have to hit a button to answer the phone. Well, I, I, so see, you, see, you've not, never had a phone ring that you have to take off the hook and answer. Oh, no, I have. I just didn't even think about it. I was he like, was, oh, where's how, the green How do I answer? Where, where's All the right. green button? All right. It was, it was a special moment here in the uh, okay. Employees Insurance it, Studio. I'll, I'll bounce back. On the line now, the, to- the Norfolk Tides play-by-play man, we have Pete Mishu. Pete, how are you today? I'm doing well, although, uh, you know, I, I apologize for the difficulty, but it's nice to know that I, I am now part of such a legendary moment this uh, is in your show's history. Not, not my finest moment. I, I can't, Zach did not know how to answer a telephone. It was, it was a proud moment for me bringing him <laughs> this, onto this, this show. There's got to be us. a green button, Paul. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, Pete, the Tide picked up with a win last night. Didn't look like it was going to go that way early. Uh, they were down 2 nothing after the first inning. What did you see from this team last night that allowed them to come back from that early 2 nothing deficit? I mean, Keegan Aiken, uh, you know, pitched last night for the Tides, and I was very impressed uh, with what I saw out of him. Uh, you know, the fastball had some jump. Uh, the off-speed pitch had a lot of guys off balance. Uh, he only pitched two innings. Maybe the only knock on him would be a lot of long counts. He uh, threw 49 pitches in those two innings, but he struck out half the men that he saw. Uh, Ten batters faced with five Ks. Only made the one mistake, which was a two-run home run that he gave up to Jesus Sanchez. And even that I take with a grain of salt. Uh, the pitch was way up and in, wasn't even close to a strike, and somehow Sanchez just turned on it and knocked it out of the ballpark. So a very promising start for him uh, last night. 
Uh, I think that certainly bodes well for what we'll see from him, uh, you know, whether it be a triple-A or major leagues or a combination of both throughout the course of this year. Well, and you mentioned Jesus Sanchez for the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. He hit a home run on Wednesday, Pete, that I still don't think has landed. We talked about that a little bit earlier in the show. The the starting And with that in mind, the starting pitching for the Tides, 19 runs, 17 earned, and just 11 and two-thirds innings in their one-and-three start. Uh, were the starters Have the starters been that bad, or is Jacksonville just that good? Well, that's the question that I've been asking, and one that obviously at this early point of the year I don't think anybody can answer. Uh, one thing that I have noticed is that the ball just absolutely seems to take off at that ballpark. We've seen a few balls that have looked like routine fly balls uh, that have gone to the warning track and others that have sailed out for home runs. But to get back to the point about the, the tides, obviously the numbers for the starting pitching especially uh, have not been good through the opening three games uh, until – we got in game four last night uh, that outstanding effort up from Keegan Aiken, albeit uh, only through two innings. So, you know, everyone has questions early in the year, and you just really don't know, you know how to answer that question. Are the Tides you know, uh, a subpar team? I find that hard to believe uh, when I look at a club that's got eight of the top 30 prospects in the organization and perhaps more to come, hopefully, from Bowie at some point this year. Or, or is Jacksonville really that good? I think they've got a lot of offensive talent on that club, uh, but it remains to be seen, of course. Well, and certainly I mentioned I was watching that game on Wednesday. Josh Rogers got to start. He gave up six run, seven runs, six earned. But it seemed like some, some defensive lapses in that game really allowed that, that game to get out of hand. Um, and Jacksonville just seems to have played a little bit more fundamentally sound baseball uh, to, to start this year. Uh, what have you seen from the Tides on defense, and specifically Jemai Jones, who the Orioles are trying to get his feet wet at second base so they could potentially call him up later this summer? Yeah, Jemai, I think, has looked fine. I don't think he's really been challenged as of yet, hasn't really had any terribly difficult uh, defensive opportunities come his way. Uh, But I hearken back to the game that you referenced a moment ago that Josh Rogers pitched a few days back, and I think about some of the problems defensively. Uh, We had a ball that was just dropped out in left field in that game that certainly cost Josh a couple of runs. Uh, Another ball out in right center field that uh, that was not dropped, but kind of a bad luck play in which Stevie Wilkerson uh, just looked up into the lights and into the night sky and simply lost the ball, couldn't find it. By the time he saw it, it landed on the warning track and bounced up against the fence. Uh, In fundamental baseball, you know, for all you can say about, you know, these gaudy offensive numbers that we see at every level, uh, offensive baseball uh, is exciting, but fundamental baseball still wins games. Uh, the tables were turned, for example, last night uh, as the Tides picked up their first win at a 5-3 to three win. Uh, Eddie Alvarez made two consecutive throwing errors on ground balls to third base. That opened the floodgates for the Tides, who scored three runs uh, in that inning and went on to a 5-3 win. So you don't have to be the most amazing defensive player, but you've got to make the fundamental plays, and the teams that do that night in and night out tend to win more often than not. So I, I, I want to keep talking about defense a little bit because I heard that Tyler Nevin has struggled a little bit in the outfield. Um, he's played you know, a lot of first base in his career, played a little bit of third base. He was drafted as a third baseman, but I've heard he struggled a little bit in right field. So could you give a little more uh, perspective on how Tyler Nevin has looked? Yeah, Tyler, you, know, you, you mentioned the fact that he you know, has some outfield experience. I think we've seen him play one game out in right so far. Um, you know, he made the routine plays out there. Again, was not terribly challenged by anything, so... 
you know, we'll have to wait and see how much more time he gets out there and how he handles uh, those opportunities. Obviously, he's had a couple of games at first base as well. Uh, so I really haven't seen enough uh, of Tyler to really give you much of an assessment, uh, you know, other than the fact that, you know, still waiting for those, those difficult opportunities to come his way uh, to really get a feel for how much he's progressed. Well, yeah, and I'm glad that Zach mentioned Tyler Nevin because he's off to a really good start. Yeah, he, he homered in each of the first two games of the season, uh, batting 286 right now after the 0 for 4 last night. Um, the Orioles don't really have any first base prospects in their minor league system. It's basically Tyler Nevin and everybody else. How important is it for him to get off to to such a good start? And is he somebody who who we could see at some point this year in Baltimore? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not really sure. Obviously, you know, is it important to get off to a good start? Well, I'm sure if you ask everybody uh, in that clubhouse, you know, everyone to a man is going to say it's important to get off to a good start. You know, nobody wants to be, you know, struggling out of the gate. I think about, you know, Uniel Diaz start this year, uh, which has not been what we would have liked through the opening four games. Uh, but I'm sure that for players, you know, like Diaz and others, uh, not off to hot starts, you simply say it's only four games. You've got a 120-game season. You know, here at the AAA level, obviously more at the big league level. And for those guys that are off to good starts, uh, you know, a Nevin, uh, a Jemai Jones, you say, again, it's only four games. Uh, you know, you can't certainly rest on your laurels. But, uh, you know, the fact that, you know, as you noted, the Orioles don't have uh, a whole lot of guys, you know, locked in at first base, a position where there could be an opportunity there. Uh, so if, if uh, Tyler can, you know, obviously keep hitting early in the year as he has through the opening couple of games, uh, you know, could raise some eyebrows and, and bring some attention to him with the uh, the big weeks in Baltimore. Yeah, and Zach brought up that he played right field the other day. He played right field that game that Ryan Ripken got the start at first base, and Ripken is getting his first taste of AAA action at the age of, I believe, 27 now. And he had a couple of hits in that game. He had a nice line drive to right field, another line drive over the shortstop's head for an opposite field single. Um, rumor is that Ryan worked a lot with his father in the offseason. Uh, how has he looked to you, and could we possibly see him get a cup of coffee at some point in Baltimore? Yeah, I think for a guy like Ryan, you mentioned, you know, obviously there are different circumstances when you've got the last name Ripken in the Orioles organization. You know, the fact that he is an old player for not having had prior AAA experience already at the age of 27. And in fact, he's got a birthday coming up midway through the year. He'll be 28 uh, late in the month of July. So, you know, for players kind of in Ryan's situation, you almost get to it being now or never for guys at this age that haven't, you know, progressed already. But, you know, you think about what he has done, you know, two years ago, the numbers that he put up, uh, you know, in other places, uh, what, 276 uh, between Frederick and Bowie, again, lower-level ball, but, you know, that's a nice, solid average. You know, a little bit of pop with six home runs, uh, you know, kind of a tall, lanky guy, which made him a nice target over there at first base. I think we remember him with a nice pick or two defensively in that game a couple of days back. Uh, so, you know, Ryan might be a guy, again, because of who he is, you know, because of his pedigree, that could work to his advantage. It obviously is going to put more pressure on him as well, so it sort of is a double-edged sword. Uh, but, you know, if he can show us a little something this year, you know, I think you almost have to give him an opportunity at some point, whether it's this year or next year. But because of his age, it probably has to come pretty soon. Now, we've talked about it, you know, quite a bit on the show as of lately, especially after Pedro Severino had a dropped third strike that went past him and kind of ruined John Means' perfect game earlier this week. But... 
the Orioles do not have good catchers at the major league level. Obviously, Adley Rutschman's coming, but there's one guy that I'm interested in at AAA that's not Nick Chufo, that's not an Austin Wins, but that's Brett Cumberland. Um, you know, acquired the Kevin Gosman trade a few years ago. He's only bad, you know, he's one for 11 so far, only batting 091. It's been a very, very, you know, short period of time that he's been playing at the AAA level. But how does, how does Brett Cumberland's defense look so far? And do you think he's an option for the Orioles at some point at the major league level? Well, so far, through the first couple of games that I've seen him catch, uh, I, I've been impressed. He's looked sharp back there, uh, blocking balls in the dirt, uh, you know, calling a pretty good game. So, you know, again, I don't have a lot of experience in watching Brett, but from what I've seen of him, you know, he's looked very uh, comfortable back behind the plate. You know, obviously the offense we're hoping will come. He was a 248 hitter uh, at Double A Bowie two years ago. Uh, but obviously when you think about a, a guy like uh, an Austin Wins, for example, as long as you can hit reasonably well, just you know, be serviceable offensively. If you can call a good game and if you can catch defensively, you know, you've got a real opportunity uh, to make it a major league baseball. And and as you noted, the Orioles, you know, have that position. Obviously, until Adley Rushman comes along, you know, there could be an opportunity here for someone that that really jumps forward and shows something defensively. Now. A, a guy who's playing in Norfolk right now that Orioles fans fell in love with back in 2019 is Stevie Wilkerson. He he played a, 117 games, hit two, 10 home runs at the major league level, had the catch of the decade out there in the last game of the season in right field in Boston. Um, missed 2020 with a broken finger. He re-signed with the team, but he's not part of the major league roster. But he's off to a hot start, hitting 294 for Norfolk. He can play all over the diamond. What have you seen from Stevie Wilkerson, and what does he need to do to get back to Baltimore? Well, I think all Stevie needs to do is stay healthy and keep doing what he's been doing for the last several years. You think about the impression that he made uh, back in uh, a couple of years ago in Norfolk. He hit three twenty-three in limited duty early in the year, immediately got the call up to Baltimore, uh, played well, 116, 118, 19 games. Uh, with the Orioles, but because he's so versatile, because he does uh, so many things pretty well, even if he's not great at anything, he does a lot of things well. Uh, because he can play multiple positions, you know, he can run a little bit, he's got a little pop, uh, he's so versatile, a wonderful guy, whether you're starting him or bringing him off the bench, you know, I think all Stevie needs to do is stay healthy and just keep playing uh, the way he's capable of playing. It's pretty amazing to me that it, it, second base has been a black hole for the Orioles at the major league level. Uh, Pat Vileka is finally starting to hit, but he played first base last night and made a costly error that costly, pretty much cost the Orioles a game last night. It's amazing to me that Stevie Wilkerson doesn't have a spot on this roster, considering his versatility, considering that he's a switch hitter with some pop. He can run. He can pitch in a pinch. Uh, to me, Stevie Wilkerson deserves as much a shot as anybody. Why have the Orioles kind of let him fall by the wayside? Well, that's a question for the Orioles and not a question for me. Fair because, enough. You know, Fair I'm, enough. I'm in agreement with you that you know Stevie's a guy, because of his versatility, because he can do so many things for you, you put a guy like that, even if he's on your bench and not in your starting lineup, it's like having two players on your bench because you can move them around, because you can do so many things with them. You noted know, the fact that he can pitch, becoming the first position player in Major League history you know, with a save uh, in that game back in 2019. Uh, so... You know, he's, he's so multi-talented, and he does things, and he gives managers opportunities to do things that other players simply do not allow. 
Yeah, it's somebody who's certainly worth keeping an eye on and somebody who could see a significant amount of time in Baltimore if the cards fall the right way for him. Um, now, look, they have Richie Martin playing every day at shortstop down in Norfolk. He had he was a Rule 5 pick in 2019, uh, managed to stay on the Major League roster all year, was injured last year with the broken wrist, broke his hammock bone earlier this year. The Orioles want him getting time at shortstop in Norfolk. How has he looked defensively, and how has he looked swinging the bat? Not a great start, but again, a small sample size. I've been impressed with what I've seen from Richie. Uh, out in the field, uh, he's had to go to his right and make a couple of plays in the hole, uh, he has been very effective in doing that. Uh, so I, I've liked what I've seen from him defensively. He's shown a pretty good arm uh, throwing from that position. Uh, certainly needs to hit, as you said, kind of just kind of an okay start so far. And you think back to what he did, uh, you know, two years ago with that full season with the Orioles. You know, didn't know a whole lot. Only hit 208 that year. Although you know, brings a little speed to the table as well. Uh, obviously, he's done it at Double A. The numbers he put up at Midland uh, back in 2018. Uh, just needs to take that next step offensively. Uh, but defensively, again, only a couple of games, a small sample size with Norfolk, but I've liked what I've seen. Yeah, he's certainly an interesting player who we like his glove. He seems to be able to make that dynamic play. And he's somebody where you look at a guy like Cedric Mullins, where the speed can play a huge part in him getting back up to the major league roster. Now, look, we've talked about Richie Martin. We've talked about Jemai Jones and Yusniel Diaz a little bit here. Who is somebody, Pete, that nobody is talking about that you could really see uh, make, a, make a name for himself in Norfolk this year? Wow, that's a, that's a good question. Um, you know, Ryland Bannon is a game, and I'm not sure if this is somebody that really fits the criteria of the question that you're posing. Uh, but, you know, Bannon isn't the first name that probably comes to mind uh, when you're talking about some of the top prospects, when you talk about Diaz, and you're talking about Martin and Nevin and Ripken and these guys. But then you've got Ryland Bannon. He's still relatively young at 25 years old. Uh, he was not as highly touted in that Machado trade because Diaz was kind of a linchpin that everybody wanted. But you get a guy like Bannon uh, coming out of Xavier University, played extremely well with the Tides down the stretch in 2019. He had almost 320 in 20 games. Uh, real nice strong arm over at third base. Uh, kind of a compact build, but he's got some pop in his bat. You know, had 20 home runs in the Cal League three years ago. So, you know, here's a guy who I think you know, could be sneaky good. And I think about the Orioles organization, you've got a lot of guys in recent years that have fit that sneaky good criteria. I think about Trey Mancini. I think about John Means. You know, these are guys, when they played with the Tides, they were regarded as good, solid AAA players, but they were not the high draft picks, the number one prospects, guys considered, you know, surefire major leaguers. And, of course, we all know what, what Trey and what John have done, you know, becoming all-star caliber players at certain points, you know, early uh, in their major league career. So Ryan Bannon is a guy for me uh, that I think really needs to be on a lot of people's radars. And that's a really great choice for that question that I asked you because Ryland Bannon was a guy that we were talking about last year, we were talking about in the offseason, who has kind of fallen by the wayside because of guys like Richie Martin and Jemai Jones, and the, he's not getting the attention, but slowly but surely kind of putting together a nice start to the season. He had a home run the other day. I watched some of his defense, and you were right, the gloves there, the arm is strong. Looks like he could be an impact player at some point, just has to get up here and prove it. The Orioles have Bruce Zimmerman, I mean, sorry, the Tides have Bruce Zimmerman going 
going tonight. Alexander Wells going tomorrow. Have an opportunity to even this series at three games apiece to start the year. Good things are coming for the Tides, Pete, and we certainly appreciate you joining the program today to talk about it with us. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you, guys. Anytime, I'd be happy to do it. Absolutely. We look forward to talking to you again soon. You enjoy the rest of your weekend. All right. Take care, guys. Take care. And that was Pete Mishu, the play-by-play man for the Norfolk Tides. Tides off to a 1-3 and three start. The, the pitching has been the problem there to start the year. They've allowed 31 runs in the first four games of that series, but outscored 31-18. to 18. So the offense, for the most part, doing their job up to the Tides to kind of right the ship there. And like you said, eight of the Orioles' top 30 prospects are on that Tides roster. There's talent at every level of the minor leagues for the Orioles, something we haven't seen in a really long time. It's super exciting, and we're going to talk about that in Orioles banter when we come back from the break. Before we get there, I just want to remind you that if you're headed to a baseball game this season, you're going to need to wear a mask. So why not wear masks to celebrate our hometown and the teams and athletes we love? PressBox is offering three different types of home team masks, including a purple and orange Maryland flag pattern 20-inch neck gaiter that Zach used to model for us and has stopped for some reason. Plus, <laughs> just kidding, buddy. Plus, to celebrate eight purple neck gaiter honoring the MVP quarterback in an over-the-ear two-ply Maryland flag mask featuring a faded version of the iconic state flag. These are decorative masks, folks. They are not CDC approved, but they are perfect for hanging out and watching games while being respectful of those around you. Get your masks right now at PressBoxOnline.com slash masks. That's PressBoxOnline.com slash masks. We are going to get a break, and when we come back, we're going to take you around the league with the payoff pitch, and then we're going to do some Orioles banter. Redefine your skills, inspire change, and make a difference. The Army offers the new generation of youth the ability to be part of something bigger than themselves, while also improving who they will become individually. Soldiers have the ability to impact the world in many different ways. The Army supports humanitarian missions ranging from the COVID-19 response to natural and man-made disasters. Visit GoArmy.com forward slash Baltimore. Glory Days Grill is celebrating their 25th anniversary this month, featuring their 12-ounce silver anniversary New York strip steak, the smoky thigh wings, a double bacon and cheddar burger, the strip steak sandwich, barbecue chicken bowl, and their silver anniversary turtle cheesecake. Toast to 25 more years with Glory Days Grill's silver anniversary IPA, brewed by Virginia-based brewery Devil's Backbone, and take home a commemorative glass. Celebrate by entering any of their three contests online, win a trip to Devil's Backbone Brewing Company, free wings, or lots of other great prizes. Enter online at glorydaysgrill.com slash 25th anniversary. The 25th anniversary menu is available through June 20th. Come in for great food, good sports, and family fun. For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A minus financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. 
C3 American Exteriors is the area's best and most trusted roof and siding specialists. C3 is also an insurance adjuster's worst nightmare and a homeowner's dream come true. With all of the bad weather, chances are you have some roof and siding damage. Call C3 American Exteriors now to get your roof and siding repairs for the cost of your deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. C3 guarantees a 48-hour rapid response. Call 401-9797 or go to c3america.com for a free analysis. The journey begins on remote mountain farms and plantations in the lush tropical regions of countries like Colombia and Brazil where the best coffee beans are grown. The beans are harvested by hand, carefully sorted, bagged, shipped, and finally roasted. And the journey ends as your cup of rich, flavorful Royal Farms coffee, the freshest and best coffee in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Matt and Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks. Thanks for having us, man. Appreciate it. Adam Cole. How are you guys doing today? And Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. The champ, Drew McIntyre. Oh, thank you for having me. The great Ron Simmons. Damn. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Le champion! Chris Jericho. Le champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Great Eights memorabilia has so many great events coming up, including private signings with John Harbaugh, Anquan Bolden, and Jonathan Ogden. Plus, the Great Eights stable will be a part of Baltimore Celeb Fest on May 15th, where you can meet pro wrestling stars like Brian Cage, Lance Archer, and Matt Seidel. And coming June 27th, the inaugural Tucker Fest at Jerry's Toyota, where you can meet Justin Tucker, plus live music from Joey Harkum and Dave Teef during the day. Find out about all of these events right now by going to GreatEightsMemorabilia.com. That's the number eight, GreatEightsMemorabilia.com. And now, folks, it is time for the payoff pitch around the league. The Orioles had at least one base runner in every inning, but managed just two runs, while Bobby Dahlbeck hit a big three-run homer after Pat Valake error to give Boston the lead for good as they held on for a 6-2 win over the Orioles. Former Orioles farmhand Zach Davies, who owned the league's worst ERA heading into Friday night, tossed seven scoreless innings, and the Cubs withstood a ninth-inning Pittsburgh rally to defeat the Pirates 3-2. In his first start since coming off the injured list, Juan Soto had two hits, including his third home run of the season, nice. and then that scored eight runs in the eighth and ninth innings to beat the Yankees 11-4. Giancarlo Stanton, who's been hotter than anybody on the planet, went 0-4 for with a strikeout in that game. Uh-oh. Also 0-4 for with two strikeouts in that game, Aaron Judge. Francisco Lindor had two hits and a home run to calm some nerves in New York while he and uh, Jeff McNeil argued over a rat, possum, and a raccoon, or so they said, in the uh, tunnel of the clubhouse. And Patrick Mizeka's fielder's choice to the pitcher in the 10th helped the Mets walk off Arizona 5-4. to 
Wade Miley walked one batter and struck out eight en route to his first career no-hitter, the Majors' fifth of the young season, if you count Madison Bumgarner's seventh inning no-no, and I do. That's that's made up. That That is that is not a no-hitter by Wade Miley. Yeah, I yeah, refuse yeah. to believe it. Yeah, I know. And the Reds scored three ninth-inning runs to ensure Miley's efforts weren't in vain as the Reds defeated Cleveland 3 to nothing. Matt Shoemaker tossed five scoreless frames as four Twins had multi-hit efforts to lead the Twins over the ML, the Major League worst Tigers 7-3. Miguel Cabrera had two hits to surpass Babe Ruth and raise his average to a meager 127 on the season. Before I continue this, I put down ML worst and told myself last night, make sure you say Major League, not ML, and I still said ML. <laughs> Isan it's D- okay. Yeah, you know, mistakes. Isan Diaz homered and drove in four for Miami, and Trevor Rogers allowed one run in five innings to pick up his fourth win as the Marlins handled the Brewers 6-1. to one. That was a grand slam, by the way, by Isan Diaz. The Phillies had six players tallying multi-hit efforts, and five of them drove in at least two, led by Gene Segura's four hits and Odubel Herrera's four RBIs to cruise to a 12-2 win over the Braves. The Mariners got two-run homers from J.P. Crawford and Dylan Moore, and Chris Flexen was able to minimize damage as he allowed four runs despite ten hits in six and the third innings to defeat the Rangers 5-4. Yuli Gurriel stayed hot with four hits and four RBIs, and Jose Urquidy uh, tossed seven innings of two-run ball to lead the Astros over the Blue Jays 10-4 despite Toronto's three home runs. Carlos Rodon continued his incredible resurgence with six shutout innings to lower his ERA to .58 and improved to 5-0 as the White Sox shut out the Royals 3-0. Jack Flaherty threw seven shutout innings and helped his own calls with a third-inning homer to lead the Cardinals over the Rockies 5-0. The Angels' one through four hitters combined for eight hits and seven RBIs, including five extra base hits, to hand the reeling Dodgers their 14th loss in their last 18 games, 9-2. Mookie Betts hit a meaningless home run in the ninth for the Dodgers. Sean Manaya took a no-hitter into the eighth inning, but the A's needed a walk-off home run from Seth Brown to beat the Tampa Bay Rays 2-1. And finally, Buster Posey continued his quest for NL Comeback Player of the Year. That was Zach's preseason pick. With his eighth home run to raise his average to 397 and lead the Giants over the Padres 5-4, Blake Snell walked six batters in four and two-thirds innings in the Padres' loss. Now Zach's going to take you into the, all the action across the league in on Saturday. All right, 1 p.m., we have the Stacked Nationals versus the Stacked Yankees as Max Scherzer takes the hill. 2 p.m., we have the first-place Cardinals. They'll battle the last-place Rockies. Trevor Williams looks to improve on his year with the Cubs as he takes on the Pirates and Will Crow. At 4 p.m., at NL West matchup, as Joe Musgrove will throw a no-hitter this year for the Padres, battles former Oriole Kevin Gossman and the Giants. Two 2020 playoff teams in the Rays and the A's. The Twins will visit Comerica Park as uh, to face the league-worst uh, Tigers. At 6 p.m., the Reds will visit the Indians in Progressive Field. Adrian Hauser and the Brewers face To Be Determined and the Marlins at Lone Depot Park. At 7 p.m., it's the Sox and the O's at the beautiful Camden Yards as Zach Lowther makes his first career start. The Mariners will face off against the Rangers in an AL West matchup. The Diamondbacks travel east to face New York and face the Mets. Steven Matz and the Blue Jays face the hot Christian Javier and the Astros. Lance Lynn and the White Sox are in KC to face off against Daniel Lynch and the Royals. In the NL East, the Cardinals go up against rookie Ian Anderson and the Braves. And finally, Dylan Bundy faces an ace in Clayton Kershaw, who carries a 2.95 ERA this year, as it's the Dodgers and the Angels. Certainly uh, some interesting matchups. Dylan yeah. Bundy against Clayton Kershaw tonight. That could be a good one. That might be a game that I watch when I get back from work. Two, two good evening. former Orioles going, and, and Bundy and Kevin Gossman. So yeah, be Ke- and Ke- Kevin Gossman, they said he has the best curveball on the planet. 
right now. Uh, if, yeah. If you're looking at best pitches, uh, they they I can't remember what it was that I saw, but the best changeup is John Means, and the best curveball is Kevin Gossman. Kevin Gossman having a really nice. It, it was resurgence. something like I saw that too. It's something like pitch value. Um, yeah. Some kind of stat, obscure stat that I haven't really gotten into, but uh, yeah, he he's certainly having a resurgence, like you said, and it's good to watch him do that. I, yeah. I'm happy for Gossman. I'm not a guy who like. Look, I hold a grudge against Wade Miley. Like, like you were brought in here I to mean, do yeah. exa- to do for the Orioles exactly what you're doing now, and you couldn't even sniff that kind of uh, competitiveness. Right. I'm not upset about Jake Arrieta because the Orioles, uh, mainly Rick Adair, just yeah. completely damaged that guy, and then they they let him go, they they let him go to Chicago. Where in Chicago they let him stand on the on the side of the mound he wants to stay on, and they let him throw a cutter. And next thing you know, he's a Cy Young throws yeah. two no hitters. Bundy, whatever. Gossman, whatever. Yeah, I'm glad yeah, they're I mean, having. I'm glad they're having success. Two guys that it just never really made it. I mean, they got every chance ever. I mean, they yeah. they got all of their chances. And and Gossman, I mean, I I really liked him in Baltimore. I really did. I liked him more than Bundy even. Um, he just was never really able to. He would have a great start, and the next start he'd come out and give up two or three, and it was just never consistent for him. Um, and it's it. I, I will blame the Orioles a little bit too for for his development. I just don't think he was developed perfectly. He was sent up and down. So so many so, times. Well, and I look back to that 2014 season, and he was he had he had like a three six ERA. I think yeah. he made like twelve starts. He was solid, right? But up and down, up and down, yeah, up and down. The Norfolk never, shuttle all year never got stability. Right. Uh, and by the time he was a part of this rotation, he was kind of broken. And you know exactly. what? And then he went to Atlanta and he pitched well until he didn't. He was really bad in Atlanta. Last year, really bad. Yeah, and then oh, I'm sorry, twenty in 2019. Right, and then kind of had a resurgence as a relief pitcher, and now with the Giants as a starter. So now, he's, now with the Giants as a starter, and he, the, he's figured it out. and He looks like a guy who was worth being picked that high in the first round. So all the credit in the world uh, to to those guys and Dylan Bundy, his high school his high school coach is the reason that it took him this long. Uh, this is a guy who was he was the number one player in the country. Right. Uh, he was the number one overall prospect in all of baseball uh, with the Orioles and the number one pitcher. And he, he, he threw like 267 pitches in a doubleheader. Yeah. Would just pitch every inning of every game Which in high school. It, it, it's so... These coaches, these high school coaches are so bad. I mean, what are we doing? For, 267? Like it, it, it was... It, that's not the exact number, but it's oh, around I, that. I, I, it's around that. I, I've heard like 250, somewhere around yeah, there. Like, like it's, they are so, because all they care about is winning their state title. It's like you. They don't care about these players. Right. They, don't, they don't care about getting right. them to the next level. It's win for me now. Do what you can for me, and I don't care what happens when I don't have you anymore. And, and it's never been more evident than a guy like Dylan Bundy, who was topping out at 98, 99 miles an hour. Now, if he hits ninety two, it's a good day. Yeah, you know, just just a shame what happened with him. But he's pitching well out there in in L A. Seems to have found himself, and he's not the ace that everybody expected him to be. But he's the ace of their staff. If Unless you count Shohei Otani, sure. Um, but he's he's become a solid middle of the rotation starter out there in LA. Anyway, this is an Orioles show, and we're not going to talk about former Orioles. Rather, we're going to give you our state of the Orioles address. Orioles fifteen and seventeen on the season, zero and seven in trying to get back to five hundred since they were four and four. When I say zero and seven, zero and seven in games where if they won, they would get back to five hundred. They're four and eleven at home. Ugh. And eleven and six on the road. John Means four and a one three seven ERA through a no hitter on Wednesday, May fifth against the Seattle Mariners. Matt Harvey, best non John Means non Trey Mancini story. He's three and two with a three six zero ERA. He's pitched really well for the Orioles. Not great. Not Matt Harvey twenty 
2013, 2015. He's but, been serviceable. But he's he's been more than it. More than it. Yeah, he's he's been good. Cedric Mullins, MVP, leading the Orioles in hits, walks, doubles, stolen bases, average, runs, on base percentage, slugging percentage, OPS, and he's second in home runs after Trey Mancini's homer and that John Means no hitter. For me, Zach, Austin Hayes is the unsung hero. Yeah. Uh, this is a guy, stellar defense in all three outfield positions, mostly a corner outfielder at this point, though, because of what Mullins has been doing. He's been barreling up a lot of baseballs. And more importantly, with him in the lineup, the Orioles are 11 and 8. Yeah. Without him in the lineup, they're 4 and 9. Yeah. It, it, he's it, a difference maker. Brandon Hyde keeps saying action, action, action. Um, that's that's the, the new word associated with Austin Hayes, I guess, because that's what he is. I mean, the guy comes up, and he's just kind of an electric player. You saw what he did for Matson last night. I, I wouldn't say he robbed a home run, but it was pretty close to it. Yeah. Um, made a really good play in left field. He's just, the guy's electric. He does everything. He's a five-tool player. That's why I loved him as a prospect is because I saw the five-tool. I mean, there's he has, a, he has it all. If he puts it together and he stays healthy, Austin Hayes is the most talented player outside of John Means on this team. I really think that's true. But, you know, we're seeing what he can do right now. He's, you know, he's hitting 260. So OPS Plus is in the 120s. He's a 1.3 war, which is amazing for, for the little games he's played. I mean, he's... He's just playing and doing everything you want to see. Um, like you said, unsung hero. People aren't going to recognize it, but he's playing great. Yeah, and, and those numbers can continue to go up. Yeah. The, the, this guy, when he when he gets going and he gets the opportunity to play every day, those numbers are there right. at the end of the year. We saw it in a small sample size uh, two Septembers ago. We saw it in a small sample size last September after he came back from the broken rib. Uh, you, you saw it in his minor league season in 2017 where he was a top five finalist for National Minor League Player of the Year that got him to be the first 2016 draft pick to reach the major leagues. Uh, Austin Hayes is a big-time player, and if he's healthy, this is a dude that you want in your lineup day in and day out. Now, for me, biggest disappointment by far and away, has been Sean Armstrong. Yeah. He didn't pitch for 10 days. Then he comes in and gets lit up by the Mariners. The Mariners. Right. All right. And then he hasn't pitched again. He, and it's been, what, four, four or five days since he, since he last pitched? To me, Sean Armstrong, his fastball spin rate, I think they said was in the 97th percentile. Yeah, I mean, show us how much that helps you then. If he, yeah. I mean, he's pitching not very well. Yeah, it's... Just, it's and he had a nice little run there where I think he was not scored yeah. upon in five or six outings, something like that. But the ERA is above 10. Uh, he, right. And this is a guy you expected to be a back end of your bullpen arm, and you can't trust him. Right. I mean, I think the, the thing is with, with Armstrong is that he never found it in spring training, and he hasn't found it now. So the leash, I mean, you wonder how long it is. I mean, look, it, it's a rebuild, so you've got to give these guys time. But it's now May 8th, and Sean Armstrong still has, like you said, a 10-plus ERA. How much longer can you go without maybe reassigning him to the minors for a few weeks? You can't. He has no yeah. options. Oh, he's no okay. He, he's out I mean, of options. He, so he, he's it, not going to pass waivers. Yeah, There's no it's, way. It's either you lose him for nothing, right. or you let him work through it. And right now they're letting him work through it, and maybe they put him into some less high leverage situations. Let him get his yeah. feet under him, get some confidence, uh, like a Ryan Mountcastle, who is sure now. And you saw it coming with Mountcastle. And we'll get into that in a second, but it's it's give him opportunities like lowering Mountcastle in the order, maybe put him in. To the game in the fifth inning or the sixth inning when the Orioles are up eight to three, you know what I mean? In, in a situation where he's not going to give up the game, um, and we were talking about Ryan Mountcastle, the Orioles were batting him fourth the entire first month of the season almost, uh, and he just wasn't getting it done with the bat. But then slowly but surely they lowered him to seventh, sixth in the order, and he starts getting an infield hit here, a, a flare to right there. 
Next thing you know, he has a he has a five game hitting streak. Now he has a fourteen game on base streak. Had three hits last night in the second homer of the season. You mentioned to me um, off the air how he's getting his hands to the ball and he's barreling up pitches that he wasn't barreling up before. Right. The home run was a laser beam. His base hit in the ninth in the eighth inning yesterday was a was a rocket line drive in the five hole. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle to me looks like that guy who is starting to figure it out at the major league level. He's had success at every level. And I think you're going to see him take off here. Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of his most impressive qualities for me is that, you know, like like I said, he can pull his hands in and kind of hit any pitch. And then you you, you can see a slider down and away or something, and he'll extend his hands and, and drive it to the opposite field. That's what's so impressive about Ryan Malcastle. And he hadn't been doing that. You know, if he got a mistake over the middle, yeah, that would be his hit. You know, maybe for the day or, or for, a, you know, he, he just, he was, what I'm trying to say is he was hitting mistakes. Um, and, and the best quality of Ryan Malcastle is his ability to hit balls that aren't necessarily great pitches to hit. Um, and that's what I saw him do last night. Really pulled in the hands on two of those swings. And even the one he kind of just like fisted out the center field, he just kind of went off the inside of the hands, just a bloop single. But that's what you want to see. That's the kind of stuff he used to do in 2020 and in the minors. And that's what you want to see from Ryan Malcastle. So yeah, he's, He's right on the verge of breaking out into a really, really good year. Well, and that average is up to 221, which isn't great. But when you consider it was about 160 10 days ago. Yeah, exactly. It's slowly climbing. It's slowly climbing up there, and it looks like he's getting more comfortable. Now, look, I saw him chase a couple of fastballs that he had no shot at getting to that were up around the shoulders of the eyes. And that's going to happen. He, it's that's, pretty normal for him, too, really. That's what he does. He, yeah. he, he swings at a lot of pitches, but his contact to damage ratio is going to keep getting higher and higher. And look... With him, with Mancini getting back on track, Hayes keeps raking. Uh, when Santander comes back, and they say that Santander has started jogging, he'll be back to baseball activities soon. Yep. Probably a week or probably about two weeks away. Still, when he gets back, man, this, this offense could really take off. Yeah, I mean, you're seeing signs of it. I mean, Freddie Galvis is a guy who really struggled the first, you know, I would say... Seven two, games. Yeah. Seven, game, so, seven, eight games. Right. I mean, he was. people were calling for him to be DFA'd after seven games, which was just kind of weird. Um, but, you know, he, he's come around. Like we said before, he could be a potential four-hole guy. Uh, Franco gets it going again. He's a, you know, very, very good piece in that lineup. Um, and then if the Orioles can figure out second base and get a guy there. And, if you know, Pedro Severino, if he turns it on a little bit, I don't have any hope that Chancisco will, but if Severino can start hitting a little bit better, yeah, it could be a, it could be a definite dangerous lineup. And Cedric Mullins and, and Austin Hayes, I mean, those guys, I love that one-two combination at the top. Trey Mancini's back to being Trey Mancini. It could definitely be a, a somewhat dangerous lineup. And then you add Yusnail Diaz in at some point this year, too. Yeah, it's, if Diaz hits, I'm, I'm not sold. On Diaz. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to have to see him at the major league level. Um, I'm going to have to see it at the Triple A level. He's about yeah, 133 yeah. right now. I, I've seen him a few times at Bowie when when he was playing at Bowie, and he was okay. You know, he he definitely needed some work. Um, so we'll see. You know, we'll see how how he performs at, at Norfolk, and he'll be up when he's up. But I, I think Michael Elias definitely wants to give him a shot this year. Yeah, uh, so, something worth keeping an eye on. Look, this team. 15 and 17 have been hovering right around 500 all year. I think the worst that they were was 10 and 14. Um, when you look at this team, do they have – they could be a thorn in a lot of people's sides all year long. Is this a team that you expect to see kind of fall off, or do you think that they'll stay kind of right around where they are? No, I mean, we made our preseason predictions, and I think I predicted 70 wins or so, and you predicted like 75 or so, um, which is, I, I think they're kind of on pace for right now. If they hover around 500, obviously they'd win about 80 games, but that's probably going to drop off just a little bit. I think 70 to 75, maybe as low as like 68. 
the Orioles could win right now on the pace they're at because this is a better team. This is the best team they've had since 2017. You can clearly tell this is a, a far better team, especially when you look at the pitching side. I mean, I, I said it the other day, but when you have a guy like John Means, you're going to win some games. Like, John Means is going to give you the chance to win every time he comes to the Hill. Most times he comes to the Hill. So, and you've, you have guys who are consistent like Matt Harvey and, and giving you a chance to win. So, yeah, I, I think the Orioles are going to keep this up at least around 500. Well, yeah, and the Miners, they're playing solid ball. Delmarvis 2-1, yeah. Gunnar Henderson already has two home runs, both Oppo Tacos. Aberdeen, man, 4-0. and Yeah. Best pitching in the entire organization, and it shows. Starters, uh, we mentioned this earlier, one run allowed in 19 innings with 17 strikeouts and just 10 hits allowed. Maverick Hanley, Kyle Stowers, Joey Ortiz, and Johnny Reiser all off the hot starts offensively. Bowie suffered their first loss last night, but they're three and one. D.L. Hall ten Ks in the season debut, despite four and a third innings pitched. Rutschman, Rutschman three game hitting streak since going zero for five with three Ks in his first game, and people saying he looked overmatched. But uh, three game hitting streak. I think he also has a three game RBI streak. He has he's homered, he's doubled a couple of times, um, tied one for three with the win last one and three with the win last night. Starters have been atrocious. Tyler Nevin and Jemai Jones, they're off the solid start. They could see major league time this season. Stevie Wilkerson has been great to start. And again, Yasniel Diaz batting just 133 through four games. He needs to show a lot more. But look, the 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 time is coming. While, while Zach gets uh, Joe Trezzo on the line here, the time is coming where the Orioles are going to be a force. And you can see it in the minor leagues. The, the minor league teams are combined, what is that, 7, 9, and 2? Uh, they're, they're combined 10 and 5, and that's with the Tides being 1 and 3. Uh, and the Tides have, we mentioned it when we had uh, Pete Michoud on the line, they have eight of the Orioles' top 30 prospects in Norfolk. That's a good team that's just ran into a better team in Jacksonville. Uh, but they have an opportunity to get back on track with Bruce Zimmerman starting tonight and Alexander Wells making his AAA debut tomorrow. So the minor leagues looking good. The Orioles' major league roster looking good. Look, do I think that the Orioles are going to be in the thick of the playoff race all season? Absolutely not. But can this team potentially win 75, maybe even close to 80 games this year if they continue to play the way that they have? And that's without the offense really getting going to, to uh, as of yet. This is an exciting team that could be uh, that could be a force, and like I said, a, a thorn in a lot of teams' sides. And with that in mind, from MLB.com, Orioles beat writer Joe Trezzo is on the line. Joe, how are you today? Hey, what's happening? Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for doing the show. Uh, we were we wanted to get you last week, but you uh, you had some personal stuff that you were doing, so you decided to come on this week. Uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up John Means' no hitter. How good has he been, and how awesome was that game to watch for you? Well, it was it was objectively probably one of the, the greatest single season. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah, single game pitching performances in Oriole history. Um, if you if you go by the metric game score, which is kind of a new age advanced metric that's pretty easy to calculate actually, um, it, and it kind of eliminates extra inning games and uh, it's kind of like those wacky outliers from the 50s and the 60s. Then um, you know it was one of the top 20, 25 single-game pitching performances in the modern era uh, is about as close to a no, it was as close to perfection as you can possibly get um, without actually getting a perfect game. And uh, I believe I believe by game score, it ranks as the single greatest uh, pitching performance in Orioles history in a single game. Uh, again, if you take out like a 15-16 inning complete game from Jerry Walker back in the 50s, um, yeah, it was, it, look, it, what was incredible about that performance, I think, was just the extreme lack of hard contact the you know lately in, in in recent years we've seen no hitters become a little more common than they have in the past as offenses 
has kind of deflated around the league. And you see more of these games where um, it's a no hitter and there isn't like that one play or that one like heart stopping moment where it seems like it's in the balance. Um, but that's really not, um, you know, taking away from anything that John Means did. It's really just kind of highlighting how dominant he was and how, uh, how efficient he was getting ahead of hitters, 26 of 27 first pitch strikes, um, and how he kept them off balance all afternoon long, especially with the changeup, um, getting 14 swings and misses on that changeup. I believe it's the most single game swings and misses on a changeup, uh, it, ever tracked by an Orioles pitcher. And this is going back to 2008 when pitch tracking really became in vogue. Uh, so it was, look, start to finish, it was about as, as, as close to perfect as anyone can possibly get. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a little unfortunate that Wade Miley threw a no-hitter yesterday and it kind of muddied the accomplishment a little bit, but no, nothing could, should take away what John Means accomplished um, on Wednesday, uh, especially when you look at it through the scope of his career arc and how far he's come and the uh, personal and professional obstacles he's overcome in recent years. It was, uh, it was truly remarkable uh, on every level. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that it kind of muddied things with Wade Miley throwing that no-hitter last night. Because, look, you, you, no-hitters are cool, and that's something that you really want to see in its history. Um, but it was two days after John Means threw his. Wade Miley pitched for the Orioles and was never close to that good for the Orioles. So it's like him, of all people, to do it takes away. This is like why we can't have nice things, Joe. Uh, two days after... John Means throws a no-hitter, and the luster's gone because somebody else already threw one. And you mentioned it's the fourth, fifth no-hitter this year if you count Madison Bumgarner's, and I do. Uh, why do you think we're seeing so many no-hitters so early in this season? You know, I think it's a variety of factors. I think that a big part of the equation um, is the uh, lack of balls in play, which MLB has been trying to uh, change and fix for some time now, and they're brainstorming a lot of ideas. I get a lot of people really upset. Um, but you're seeing like the same trends that you've seen uh, for years now perpetuated with more home runs, more strikeouts, more walks, fewer balls in play, uh, pitchers getting a lot better, velocity going way up. Um, and, you know, four or five years ago, that really only accounted for velocity on fastballs. Now you're seeing velocity on spin pitches um, shatter all kinds of records. Um, you're seeing pitchers... Um, you know, kind of get too big for the field in a lot of ways. Uh, and, and the stuff is just at an elite level, a historically elite level. Um, and then you compound that with the fact that hitters have, pitchers have kind of always been ahead of hitters early in the season. Uh, that's true in March. It's true in April. It's true in February. It's true in the beginning of May, for the most part, before the weather heats up. And I think you see a confluence of those uh, circumstances uh, with all these no-hitters coming about lately. But again, I, I don't think it should take away anything from what John Means accomplished, especially since his no-hitter was such a unique and singular type of no-hitter. It was really much closer to a perfect game uh, than, say, the, the no-hitter that Edwin Jackson threw several years ago where he walks eight. Um, you know, that kind of comes to mind as the outlier in the other direction. Uh, what John Means did, if, 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 Sever, if Pedro Severino corrals that, that curveball in the dirt in the second inning, then he's thrown a perfect game. And then he's in a much different class uh, when it comes to that kind of achievement. So um, I, I do think that uh, what we're talking about with those league-wide trends, you know, it's worth, it's worth talking about, and it's worth uh, putting all these achievements into, into context in that way. And you have to, every, you know, every player is really 
based and their achievements are, are, are kind of, um, they look back on in the context of the era, of the era in which they played. So I think that's a, uh, a fair conversation to have. And um, I think it definitely plays a role uh, when you look back on what John Means accomplished and, and what's happening league-wide. Um, but at the same time, what he did on Wednesday was kind of in another class, another league, and some of these, others no, these other no-hitters that we've seen, especially lately. Now, the first thing that came to my mind when I saw Wade Miley uh, throwing no hitter last night because Wade, Wade Miley was not a very good Oriole. Um, he's kind of had a little bit of a career resurgence after that. But the first thing that came to my mind is that this deadened ball that MLB is using could definitely be throwing things off a little bit. Um, you know, really for anyone across Major League Baseball, how much do you think the ball has had a effect on you know some of the Orioles hitters and then all the no hitters we've seen being thrown around around the league this year? I think it's kind of hard to say right now because the sample size of data is so small. Um, but I also think it's worth mentioning that you don't have to be a great pitcher to throw a no-hitter. There have been a lot of not great pitchers who have thrown no-hitters. I, the first two that I covered in my career kind of came back-to-back, and, and they proved that, that these things really run the gamut. I saw Max Scherzer uh, throw, I think, a 17-strikeout no-hitter against the Mets in September of 2015. Um, which, and Max Scherzer is like probably a borderline future Hall of Famer, um, was one of the most dominant performances I've ever seen. And I, it was either two weeks before or two weeks later, I can't remember, but Chris Heston of the Giants in his like sixth or seventh career start, Chris Heston, not a great pitcher, not a big prospect, didn't have a long career, might be out of the game right now, I'm not sure. You know, he no hit the Mets with completely different stuff in a completely different way. So there are examples all throughout history, it's littered with them, and Bud Smith of the Cardinals throwing a no hitter in 2001. Um, and then you have great pitchers like Randy Johnson who threw perfect games. So um, I, I don't know if, if you want to have that conversation. It's best to look at it through the lens of why are all these no-hitters happening. Um, but does the dead and ball have an effect on offense long-term? Uh, probably yes, and I think that was the intended purpose. Um, now, that being said, you're also not really seeing, a, at least in the short-term data, like you're not seeing a huge change in terms of league-wide batting averages. They've been going down for a long time now um, with two different types of baseballs, maybe three or four different types of baseballs. Um, And so I don't think you can really hang the offensive malaise that the league is going through right now on one particular thing. I think you have to kind of zoom out um, and acknowledge that a big factor here is this, this widespread change in approach in the way the game is played, the way the game is taught, and the types of players that teams are developing, and they're developing power hitters. They're developing guys who slug. Um, and the way that pitchers attack these guys has also changed over the course of the last few years. You know, um, Nobody's pitching to contact anymore. A lot of high-octane relievers on every single club looking for the swing and miss on every single pitch, sometimes at um, you know the, the risk of, of having a little worse control or command of the baseball and uh, guys getting out of jams, they're willing to put guys on base because they can get out of jams with swings and misses. Um, it's, a bit of, it's become a bit of an all-or-nothing game league-wide, and I think you see the Orioles' offense fall into that in a lot of ways. You hear Brandon Hyde talking about a lot of big swings, uh, especially with the younger players. You know, that's not uncommon around the league. Um, they're, now, that being said, they're, they're a bad team in terms of situational hitting compared to the rest of the league, and I think that's why you see... Um, the offense kind of go into these swells where, where it looks like they can't get anything going for a week and then they break out with a big game. And next thing you know, they're still kind of middle of the pack and run scored. 
but you have these long stretches where it seems like the offense isn't really doing that much. Um, so again, I think it's a, a bunch of factors. Um, I don't know if it, they probably play into a few of these no hitters on, on any given night. Yes. Um, but I think the, the more nuanced conversation is about what's happening, you know, on an overall level when you zoom out. Yeah, and I'm glad that you mentioned the Orioles' struggles with runners on base. They got a runner on base in every single inning last night. They were one for seven with runners in scoring position. As a team, they left 10 men on base uh, over the course of the game. Uh, Two runs, despite 11 hits and having a base runner in every single inning. Now they're 0-7 in games where if they win, they get back to 500. Why is the offense so inept when it comes to hitting with hitting with men on base and why can't they seem to get over that hump to get back to 500 it's a lot of those things i was just talking about um you know a lot of teams these days they're uh, it's it's not it's it's not as easy to string three or four hits together you don't see a lot of teams do it because the stuff is so good and the pitching is so good and it's so good from the first inning through the ninth with all these high octane relievers and high high velocity um in pitches that are coming in at, at velocities that um, we've never seen before in the game. And a lot of teams are relying on the home run. Um, and the Orioles uh, don't have really that luxury. While they have guys who can leave the yard and they have home run hitters, um, when it, it does seem like they have trouble scoring run, runs when they don't leave the ballpark on a regular basis. And when you have a lineup with a lot of young and inexperienced guys, guys like Ryan Mountcastle with a lot of potential, um, and a lot of ability to drive the, the baseball, but maybe not the experience um, or the approach yet that's refined enough to do so consistently, then you see an offense with holes in it, and you see an offense that uh, staggers for long stretches of time uh, to get going and really click as a unit. Um, now, do I think that that changes throughout the year as guys get older and get better? Yeah, I, I, think, it, I think it does. Um, and, but you have to kind of hope that those, um, those like maybe rebounds or... or, or um, growth from those younger guys maybe down the lineup that they sync up with the hot start that Cedric Mullins is having or when Trey Mancini gets hot, which it looks like he is now, or um, the way Austin Hayes is swinging the bat in the, in, in the two-hole, it looks like he's really found a home there. Um, so you have this question of like how, can, how, how does the lineup click as a one through nine unit? We haven't really seen that so far uh, with the Orioles, and a lot of it is because of their uh, lack of success with runners in scoring position and situational hitting and really getting, uh, getting on base. If you look at on-base percentage, uh, Cedric Mullins is doing really well in the leadoff spot, but as a team, um, they rank pretty close to the bottom of the, of the league in that regard. Um, and so I think it's, you know, it's a team-wide thing. I think that um, it probably gets better throughout the year, but this, again, it's, it's, a, it's a young team with a few exciting pieces, but um, you know, when you look at well, why maybe won't the Orioles truly contend this year, you know, that's probably a reason is because it's a lineup that, uh, really isn't built to click on all cylinders um, and, and hasn't yet. Well, and speaking of that, Rio Ruiz has certainly yet to click on all cylinders, really at any point in his Orioles career. Pat Vileka has come on strong recently, seems to be hitting a lot better, had two really lengthy at-bats last night, albeit they resulted in outs, but he's looked better at the plate. How much more of a leash does Rio Ruiz have? Is Pat Velika going to certainly start getting more playing time at second base? And are the Orioles considering an earlier promotion for Demai Jones after a solid start in a strong alternate training site performance? I think you hit it on the head there with Jemai Jones. I don't think Pat Velika is the one that pushes Rio Ruiz out of, out of more playing time. I think if, if it happens, and Ruiz has had a pretty long leash these last few years, 
basically because there hasn't been uh, a whole ton of high-level um, third-base prospects uh, behind him, pushing him at the AAA level. Uh, you know, now he's getting a lot more at-bats at second base because of Michael Franco. Um, but the same thing kind of remains. The Orioles have some exciting middle of the field prospects, but a lot of them are at the lower levels. Their recent draft picks who lost a year of development last year with the, the cancellation of the minor league season. So you haven't seen, you see a guy like Ruiz benefit because um, he really hasn't been pushed by a true prospect. I think Jemai Jones fits that category better than, um, better than anybody that's been at AAA since Ruiz has been here since 2009. And, I think that Ruiz could have been pushed this spring if Jones had gotten off to a better start in Grapefruit League play, but he really didn't produce all that well um, and didn't really make much of an impact in the spring. He had a really nice stint at the alternate site with a few of the scrimmage games, and he's gotten off to a really good start at AAA. Now, I think that this is a guy who has some major league experience last year with the Angels, um, and he probably, probably is in line for an earlier promotion than maybe somebody else who missed an entire season last year and doesn't have as much minor league season. So I do think that if uh, a few weeks from now, Jemai Jones is still hitting. Um, I think he's definitely a candidate for a midseason promotion, probably uh, before the all-star break, whereas a guy like Yusniel Diaz, and I know we're talking about a different position here, but similar level prospect. Diaz is probably a little bit of a better prospect than Jones, but uh, similar level uh, at this point in their careers. Had no AAA experience before this year. The Orioles really want to get him some AAA at bats, and they want to make sure that when he gets to the big leagues, he sticks. I think he would be in line for probably a promotion later in the year if he if he gets out to a hot start. Whereas Jemai Jones can push a guy like Ruiz uh, if he's hitting really well at Norfolk, especially since the Orioles have kind of a need at that position at the big league level. So uh, along those same lines with leashes and guys that haven't performed that well at the major league level, Chance Sesco is another one. Um, you know, kind of had a good on base percentage last year, 364, but he's only gotten on base at a 225 clip this year, and he's only walked once in 13 games, which is just not productive. I mean, the the defense isn't there, the offense isn't there. Is there any guy the Orioles have considered replacing Chance Sesco with, considering that, that there's been basically zero production? Well, I think what you're seeing is Chance Sisko, and this happens with a lot of prospects, that he's the, uh, the, the, the gleam or the shine from that prospect status has, has, has dwindled in the last few years, and he's kind of settling into this role um, as a backup, backup catcher, um, which maybe is, is what he is. Um, now, I think that if, if that's true, the Orioles would probably want to see him be more productive in, in smaller stints, like in pinch hitting appearances or when he, when he does play every now and then. But remember a few years ago, he was kind of splitting time with Pedro Severino for a while early in the season. The Orioles weren't really sure which guy they were going to commit to. That's really no longer a question. Even when Severino isn't hitting, he is the everyday catcher. Right. Um, and his production has been, there have been peaks and valleys with it. It hasn't been super consistent, and he's not totally refined behind the plate. That being said, I think the fact that Cisco hasn't really gotten an everyday chance this year, especially with fewer at-bats available at designated hitter, with a lot of exciting outfielders that the Orioles want to get playing time for and a bit of a log jam out there. Um, you know, especially with when Santander is healthy, they're trying to use that DH spot for Ryan Mountcastle, DJ Stewart, Austin Hayes, guys like that. Uh, that's really cut into Cisco's playing time. And um, what I think you're seeing is, is he's in a bit of a, uh, a, a rut here, um, fit-wise, where 
Um, I think you look, you look a little bit down the road and you think, who's the Orioles catcher of the future? You think Adley Brutchman, and he's probably here a little sooner than you think, um, whether that's the end of this year or next year. And there isn't really that much opportunity left for Cisco at, at this, you know, on this team unless he, he begins to produce. So I don't think that the answer is who, you know, who do you replace him with? Because right now he's the backup catcher on a team that doesn't really utilize one all that often. Um, but I think the question is, like, you know, does he have a chance, does he have any time left to kind of seize that opportunity before uh, some real legitimate prospects um, come in and, 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 and they get, uh, you know, all, all the attention and focus behind the plate? So uh, do they, uh, I think the Orioles are a bit disappointed with, with Cisco, especially in the offensive uh, side of the game, um, especially because you saw spurts last year where he could be really, really productive in a certain way, he has some certain bat to ball skills and, and on base skills that, uh, that really flashed, but, um, they're all, it's also a skill set that doesn't always necessarily, uh, translate to limited playing time. It's the kind of thing you have to appreciate on a day to day basis. And right now it's just not really getting that opportunity. And I don't really see, um, foresee a situation down the road where he, where he gets it, um, unless there's an injury. Now you mentioned a little bit ago in this interview that, um, you, the Orioles won't really be in contention this year. However, they have managed to hover right around 500 uh, through the first six weeks of this season. Uh, is this something you expect to continue? Are the Orioles exceeding your expectations uh, that you have for the beginning of this season? Uh, how good can this team be this year? We're not talking playoffs, but can they be better than most people expected? I think they've exceeded my expectations, especially, um, you know, I didn't expect John Means to be the best pitcher in the American League. I expect him to take a step forward. Um, but he certainly exceeds a lot of people's expectations. I didn't expect Cedric Mullins to be one of the best leadoff men in baseball. He has been that. Um, and I didn't expect the bullpen to be this good. And it has been quite a good unit, surprisingly. Um, and Brandon Hyde managed it really well. And so I think all those are positives that you take forward and um, you say that maybe I didn't see this happening a month ago. Um, it's, hard, it's hard to look down the road, though, with a team like this because the roster is not going to be static, especially – uh, when guys perform well or when they exceed expectations, you have to assume uh, that there's a possibility that their roster is going to change, uh, especially with the club in a rebuilding uh, cycle and where they are. Uh, you know, who becomes a trade piece in July? Who um, gets that earlier that promotion earlier than expected? Um, I just think that there are so many moving parts here. And then I think back to last year when the Orioles really started in a similar way. If you remember, they hovered around 500 for the first month, six weeks or so of the season. Um, And then they really hit a tough stretch uh, towards the end of the year. And because it was a 60 game season, that was just the way the season ended. But if this was a normal year, that would probably take us through the middle of June. Right. So I do think you're going to have these stretches in a similar way with a young team, uh, with a core that's not really um, solidified yet. And with the, with the um, possibility that some of their best pieces might get traded come July uh, for prospects, then I think that you're going to see these peaks and these valleys uh, in terms of competitiveness um, to where, you know, I I don't want to put a win total on it. I I don't know. (laughs) It's hard to say at this point, but I do think that they can, you know, they can compete the way that they have been as a a pesky scrappy team um, that, that makes, you know, that spoils, uh, that spoils some series here and there. Um, and along the way, in the aggregate, um, enjoys some of these kind of surprise developments, or maybe not surprise, but you know, better than expected developments, um, and then uses that as a springboard 
to achieve some of these more long-term goals. So I think that's where they are right now. I think it, it would have been that way in a shorter, in a longer season last year. You know, they would have been doing this kind of thing then. And maybe if we were having this conversation after a full year last year, we're saying, hey, maybe is this real? Hey, maybe can, well, will they start to add this winter? Um, hey, what, maybe uh, when can we really um, kind of picture and, 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 and who, who can we picture being here when they, when they are truly ready to compete? Um, unfortunately, that timeline, I think, has been pushed back a little bit. Um, and so I think you're still going to see uh, this year the inconsistency, but you're going to see the bright spots as well. Uh, certainly more so than in 2019. Um, and you're going to see over the course of the year, you know, who actually factors into this long-term plan and who maybe doesn't. Well, yeah, and, and certainly uh, I think this could be better than what uh, Orioles fans expected, considering when you look at the Orioles schedule and how it breaks down to start this year, they've played 20 games. A- after the after this next series with the Yankees, they will have played 20 games against the Yankees and Red Sox, nine games against the Mariners and Marlins, who are both above 500, and six games against the Oakland Athletics, who have one of the best records in baseball. And the Orioles are right around 500 through all those games. It's been actually a pretty impressive start when you consider everything involved. Now, with that in mind, if the Orioles are still hovering around 500, can you envision a scenario, and this is all hypothetical, can you envision a scenario where the Orioles trade Pedro Severino at the all-star at the uh, trade deadline and potentially bring up Adley Rutschman for the season's final two months? Um, I, I could see a scenario where Adley Rutschman gets called up this year, especially if he proves that he has nothing left to prove uh, at the higher levels. Um, that being said, I don't think the impetus to that decision would be a potential, you know, postseason push. I just don't think the Orioles. Uh, front office is wired that way at this point. I think they are um, diligent and steadfast um, and deliberate purposefully um, when it comes to their plan and their long-term goals. And they see a, let's say, a bigger prize out on the horizon than just a, you know, maybe sneaking into a wild card spot in three months, um, that, that little shiny carrot uh, hanging in front of their face where um, I just I just don't think that's the way that this this front office operates. And I don't think that's how they came in here thinking they were going to operate. I don't think anything um, that's marginal when it comes to playoff aspirations um, is really going to alter their behavior or their planning in that way. Now, if you would have said to me that the Orioles have the best record in baseball this year, and that's true at the all-star break and we're heading into August and they're in first place, then maybe. Um, But I, I don't really see that happening. I don't think many people do. I don't see, while they have been competitive this year, and I think that, that the start has been um, surprisingly positive in a lot of ways, uh, I don't think the Yankees are going to be in last place all year. You know, I, I don't, I think that there's a, an element of uh, early season sample size scheduling, rain out, weather, flukiness to this kind of thing. You know, every good team goes through bad stretches and every bad team goes through good stretches. So I don't know if the early season standings are all that reflective at this point. Um, and so that's why I just, I, I don't, I don't really see um, there being uh, this like organizational um, shift in philosophy over a few months from such a methodical um, and kind of projection based uh, front office. Now, you know, does Adley Rushman come up in August if he's hit, 20 homers in two months in double A and I guess the seat way to triple A, maybe, maybe there are also service time implications to consider. Um, 
But, you know, the shortened season last year kind of changed things for big prospects, too. I think you're going to see them reach the majors maybe a little earlier in some cases than they would have, a little later in some cases than you might have thought they would have in others. So um, I think that still remains to be seen. But, I, I look, is there a possibility of the scenario that you outlined happening? I think so, but I think it's a bit remote. Yeah, you're, you're probably right, but uh, Orioles fans can dream and hope for sure. Now, uh, Joe, before we let you go, we play a little game here on the bat around that we call Take to Rake. And the rules of this game are uh, the three of us pick each pick a player that we think is going to have the best offensive week uh, for the Orioles. The only stipulation here, Joe, is that you can't pick the same player that was picked last week. So, like, last week, for example, I picked Ryan Mountcastle, which means I can't pick him this week. Rich Dubroff last week picked Austin Hayes. So, Joe, you can't take Austin Hayes this week. That's really the only rule here. Now, last week, like I said, Rich Dubroff picked Austin Hayes, and he won by the narrowest of margins. He slashed 308, 379, 500, 8 for 26. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle slashed 318, 333, 500, but uh, Austin Hayes was a little bit better in most of the categories. So we're going to give the first guest win of the year to Rich Dubroff last week, which means, Joe, that you pick first today. Uh, big shoes to fill following Rich there. Okay, um, I'm going to say Trey Mancini. I think he's been hitting up for a while now. Uh, I think he's starting to get confident in the plate again, a little more comfortable with the swing uh, after the long layoff. Um, and I think mentally he's in a much better place than he was two, three, even four weeks ago, uh, especially now that the pressure uh, and the attention of his comeback to the field has kind of dissipated. So um, I think you're going to see uh, Trey kind of catch fire in late May, early June, um, after a slow start and really hit the all-star break running and be that productive middle-of-the-order guy uh, and really star that, that the Orioles think he can be. Um, and you're already seeing some of that in terms of like RBIs and production, and he's been hitting, I think, at like 3.30 or something the last two weeks. So I'm going to go with Trey Mancini um, for a big week, and hopefully I can, I can usurp Rich in the winner's circle. Yeah, Trey, Trey's been uh, really hitting the ball on the screws recently. He, he didn't hit into two double plays yesterday, but both of them were hit right on the screws. Um, so that's a solid pick. Now look, Austin Hayes is right there for the taking for me. I get to pick second because I have Ryan Mountcastle, who was 7 for 22, hit 318 last week. Um, but I'm not going to take Austin Hayes. I feel like that's the easy way out. I feel like we've been taking all the best players. I'm going to take Freddie Galvis this week. Freddie Galvis has been quietly having a really nice season for the Orioles, especially over the last four weeks. Freddie Galvis is my pick for take to rake. And Zach, pulling up the rear as per usual. Wow, uh, I see a a three-way tie. I don't see, you know, I see a three-way tie right now, but I'm going to select... Austin Hayes, because i got to get back on the board. i got right. I really got to get a win this week. It's a big one. Zach took Cedric Mullins last week. Cedric Mullins gave, gave, gave Zach his only win earlier this year, uh, but then he hit 240 this past week, but with a 345 on base yeah. percentage. So, yeah. so Joe Trezza is Zach taking Trey. Zach, supposed to buy low, not buy high. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, Joe Trezza taking Trey Mancini, uh, Zach taking Austin Hayes, and Paul Valley, myself, taking um, – Freddie Galvis. So we'll see who wins. Joe, thank you so much for joining the program. Always great to talk to you. And we'll talk to we'll talk again soon. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a good day. You do the same. Bye bye.
That was Joe Trezza joining us here in the Chesapeake Employers Insurance Studio. I just want to remind you that every Monday through Friday, Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer bring their pragmatic and irreverent approach to Baltimore sports via PressBox's Glenn Clark Radio. Watch the show at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen to PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. You never know who might pop up on GCR. This week, the guys caught up with Ravens draft picks Rashad Bateman, Brandon Stevens, and Dalen Hayes. Hall of Famer Jim Palmer, Kentucky Derby winner Bob Baffert, and more. Find those interviews today in the Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review feature at PressBoxOnline.com. Make the most out of every day in a Toyota RAV4, available in hybrid or guest-only models. RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out BuyAToyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. We're going to finish up the show, get a break, and come right back. Hey, this is your guy, Chris Rulin from Great Eights Memorabilia, coming to you to talk about Baltimore Celeb Fest. 50 wrestlers at Benfield Sports Center on Saturday, May 15th from 11 till 3. We will be there with the Great Eights stable with the Murder Hawk Monster, Lance Archer, the Machine, Brian Cage, the beautiful people, Angelina Love, Velvet Sky, Matt Seidel, Flip Gordon, Tessa Blanchard, Diamante. You can meet all eight of them for only 200 bucks. All the details at GreatEightsMemorabilia.com. It's Great Eights Memorabilia. Also, we have great private signings coming up with John Harbaugh, Anquan Bolden, Jonathan Ogden, and more. That's GreatEightsMemorabilia.com. Remember, be great. C3 American Exteriors is the area's best and most trusted roof and siding specialists. C3 is also an insurance adjuster's worst nightmare and a homeowner's dream come true. With all of the bad weather, chances are you have some roof and siding damage. Call C3 American Exteriors now to get your roof and siding repairs for the car of your deductible. Don't let the insurance industry get one over on you. C3 guarantees a 48-hour rapid response. Call 401-9797 or go to c3america.com for a free analysis. Guys, we're almost there. As a lot of people have said, we are at the 10-yard line, but the COVID-19 pandemic is not quite over, so we need to continue to be vigilant, do the right things, including wearing our masks, and if we're going to wear them, why wouldn't we wear masks that represent our favorite teams and players? Home team masks available right now. Pressboxonline.com slash masks. We got a purple and orange state flag neck gaiter for you, as well as the Celebrate 8 MVP neck gaiter and an over-the-ear faded distress state flag and traditional colors mask. They're available. Pressboxonline.com slash masks. Let's get this over with. Wear our masks. Home team masks. This is how you get a premium cup of coffee. Better and faster than the drip, drip, drip method. And way better than a large urn of lukewarm coffee made who knows when. At Royal Farms, our new Swiss-made coffee machines grind fresh premium beans on the spot and then brew them one cup at a time for the freshest, most flavorful cup of premium coffee you can buy. This is Royal Farms coffee. It's better because it's the freshest coffee in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Redefine your skills, inspire change, and make a difference. The Army offers the new generation of youth the ability to be part of something bigger than themselves, while also improving who they will become individually. Soldiers have the ability to impact the world in many different ways. The Army supports humanitarian missions ranging from the COVID-19 response to natural and man-made disasters. Visit GoArmy.com forward slash Baltimore. 
For more than 100 years, Chesapeake Employers Insurance has been helping Maryland businesses keep their workers safe. With competitive pricing and an AM Best, A-minus financial strength rating, it's no surprise that Chesapeake Employers is Maryland's largest writer of workers' comp insurance. At the end of every workday, someone's waiting for your safe return. Connect with your agent or visit CEIWC.com. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Luke Jackson profiles top Orioles pitcher John Means and the role new pitching coach Chris Holt is taken with Means and the entire organization. Inside, Matt Kremnitzer reflects on Nick Markakis' career, and Bo Smolka looks at what to expect from the Ravens' 2020 draft class in their second season. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. We'd be remiss if we didn't mention the awesome Glenn Clark intro music to, to start. It's the best. Coming back from best. our third break every week. It is the best. Um, so look, it, it, was a, it was a great show today. A lot of... Uh, a lot of intel on the tides, on Albert Pujols. Uh, I forgot that Zach was supposed to do a live read. Come <laughs> well, back I, I, a break. We, we got bad. one more. Latest edition of Press Box is available now on the cover. Luke Jackson profiles top Orioles pitcher John Means and the role new pitching coach Chris Holt has taken with Means and the entire organization. Inside, Matt Kremnitzer reflects on Nick Markakis' career. Bull Smoka looks at what to expect from the Ravens' 2020 draft class in their second season. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition as as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. So, lovely live. Back, back to the in fact, back to the show. Back, back to the show here in the Chesapeake. <laughs> what, a, what a great employer. transfer we just did. <laughs> it was it was a good show today. It was a good show today. Orioles playing some good baseball. A tough loss to the Red Sox last night. You, I expect to see them now. Who's it's Zach Lowther making yeah. his uh, his first career major league start. I believe it's Garrett Richards. Against tonight. Garrett Richards, who yeah. the Orioles lit up, but he's been really good ever since that start where the Orioles scored six runs off of him in, what was it, two, three innings? Yeah. Um, he's been really good since then. Um, look, the Orioles last night, they got a base runner in every inning. I've mentioned it multiple times this show, and they scored two runs. I expect that to change tonight. I expect him to score some runs. Maybe they'll get two runs in the first inning. Um, that I, I don't know. The theme of this show, that remains to be seen. Um but I'm expecting this offense to really start to kind of take off here. Austin Hayes swinging a hot bat. Ryan Mountcastle's bat is starting to scorch. Yeah. Um, Trey Mancini, like Joe Trezza mentioned, hitting 330 over the last couple of weeks. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens here. Uh, Orioles have 15 and 17. They win today. They get back within a game of 500. And if that's the case, then tomorrow they try to break this 0 for 7 streak in trying to get back to 500. Uh, what are your expectations for the rest of this series? Uh, you know, Red Sox have been really good, and they've pitched well, they've hit well. Their lineup is tough. You know, yeah. it, it really is pesky. Um, you know, you saw Vasquez foul like 11 balls off last night. Devers had a great at-bat. That, that's the kind of stuff you're going to keep seeing. So I don't have a ton of confidence that the Orioles are going to walk away with the series. You know, they still have three games, but I, don't, I really don't expect the Orioles to win this series. Um, but, you know, it gets another Red Sox series out of the way early in the year, and I think that's for the better. Um, you know, I, I don't have a lot of confidence on Jorge, of Jorge Lopez on Monday. No idea what we're going to get from Zach Lowther tonight. I hope he's good. Um, but, you know, it, it's just kind of a bunch of question marks, I guess, and especially in the rotation since there's no means and Harvey already pitched last night. So we'll just see what happens. But I do expect the Red Sox to be pesky as usual. Yeah, and you got Dean Kramer going tomorrow. Right. Yep. And uh, gave up 
just a one run over six innings against a pretty bad Seattle Mariners lineup. Yeah, but I, I thought he was good. I didn't love his location. I thought he, yeah, I, thought I, he was I still never love off. his location. No, it, I don't. You know, it, and it's it's just one of those things where he's a young guy, he's still learning the pitch, and still learning the pitch at the yeah. major league level. Tough matchup, but hopefully he has the confidence of a little bit of success in his last start, taking it into that game against the Red Sox tomorrow. I would love to see the Orioles split this series, but it's a lot easier to split when you win the first game. And in my opinion, they should have won that game yesterday. You have 11 hits. You strike out only four four or five times. And on top of that, you uh, get a base runner in every inning. That's a game the Orioles need to win, and they didn't win yeah, it. Yeah, it's too bad that six of them came from two guys, um, and almost seven of them. So you, you got to have more guys doing more and, and not letting Ryan Mountcastle and Austin Hayes get all your hits. I mean, and Trey Mancini played well, too. Cedric played okay, but it's it's especially important in that 7-8-9. you got to hit. Some, you just got to get on base sometimes. And, and, and to me... Really frustrating to see DJ Stewart yesterday come up in the eighth inning as a tying run and pop out to center on the second pitch of the at bat. Yeah, that was a bad at bat yeah, you from got, a really you, like, patient hitter. Like you got, and yeah, he, he hasn't been that great, that yeah. patient this year. He's had some really good at bats, but he's had some really, really bad at bats like that one. And man, he was my breakout candidate this year, and he just Michael Elias too. I thought the dude could hit a fastball. And he yeah. can't. He's behind everything. The dude, and, and it's be, his swing is so freaking long. Yeah, he's trying to hit a home run on every pitch, and that's why he he you can physically see him load up. Yeah, right. and by the time he's done loading up, the ball's already by him. He has no shot. Right. Just I mean, quick hands, short to the ball, man. Get the barrel on the ball and right. get out in front of him on a fastball. Like Brandon Hyde said, DJ Stewart needs to know what it feels like to be out in front on a fastball. Right. Because right, right now he's behind everything. I like. I'm not even sure the pitch he popped up was a fastball. I, it was. It wasn't. It, it was off speed. Yeah. So I mean, he's he's really struggling. He's got to get it going at some point here. Yeah, and, and he's and he's not. And I don't I don't know that he, I, he, he I, may find himself optioned when Santander comes back. I, I don't. I think he's gonna be. And yeah. I don't know that I have the confidence in him to break out of it. I, right. I, you know, it, it was nice to see him hit six home runs in a week last year. Right. But that was last year, man. And he still only hit, finished the season bound like 180. So, or yeah, like 196 it, it, or something. It, it wasn't great. Right, and the walks aren't coming this year where they were coming last year, yeah. too. So he's got to turn it on at some point, or he's going to find himself in AAA And for sure. if I see Pedro Severino batting <laughs> cleanup in this Orioles lineup tonight, I am going to lose my freaking mind. We need mind. to get Stan to say something to Brandon Hyde, I think, about this. Well, how in the hell do you have a dude who has 24 strikeouts and 85 at-bats, is batting 224, has one home run and two RBIs, batting fourth in your lineup? That is Unacceptable. It's Freddie Galvis time in the four hole. It's like, Freddie Galvis time. Like, let's bat Rio Ruiz fourth while we're at it. Like, I'm what are sure, we doing? I'm pretty sure he's batted him fifth a couple times. He had. So. Well, he did to start the year, and then he yeah. realized, wait, this guy can't hit. <laughs> right. You know. Right. And, and, like, look, I, I don't want to be overly critical of the team because I love the team, and I think right. that Brandon Hyde is doing an admirable job. Yes. I, I think he's earned uh, having that 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 option picked up on his contract, but man, Pedro Severino batting fourth is just totally unacceptable to me. Yeah. And and. We need to see somebody like Freddie Galvis. I think he likes having Galvis towards the bottom of the line to turn the lineup over, but yeah. he can't. Maybe Mountcastle goes back to fourth. Maybe he says his bat's heating up, we put him back to fourth. not sure he's ready for that yet. But yeah, I, I Pedro Severino batting fourth, he has done literally n- less than nothing to earn that right. Probably his worst offensive year to date so far. It yeah, he, hasn't been good. He's been bad. and uh, 
the, and the, 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 the defense of these two catchers, the offense of these two catchers, it's getting tiring night in night I out. I hate our catching tandem. It's it's I hate it. It's just getting old at this point. I mean, it, it's not it it's not fun to watch. It's you, you, Chance Cisco comes up to the plate, and I go, "Why is this guy still on the team?" Like I I, I don't want to be too critical again, but come on, he lo- he, he reminds me of Chris Davis. He yeah, looks like he's lost before he's even stepped into the box. Right. Pedro Severino. I, I look every t- every swing he takes. I feel like he fouls it off to the right side. I think he's another guy trying to hit a home run. Yeah, on a it, lot of pitches. It, it's like, man, just stay within yourself and just hit yeah. a line drive somewhere. Because he's better than that. You know he is. And, and Chance Cisco. I mean, look, the walks came last year, and people always say, "Oh, but he gets on base." I'm going, "Is he? He's one walk this year, and how many hits? Maybe four." Well, well, well but last year he only he saw two thirds of two thirds of all pitches were out of the strike zone. Yeah. This year two thirds of all pitches are in the strike zone. There's your there's your difference for San Francisco. Yeah. So and, and it's they're proving that he can't hit. Uh, it, which no. which sucks, man, cuz he hit 302 as a minor leaguer and now he gets to the majors and he can't do it. He right. Just, I mean, it, it, and at some point you're just going to have to say, "Come on. We we, we got to make a change here at some point. If you're Michael Elias, you've got to realize, okay, this is not happening anymore. I, I don't I, care if it's a rebuild. You've got to get someone who can you play." You can't have Two catchers who are not great defensively, exactly. Who also can't hit, and then right. Austin wins. What are you going to get out of Austin? Wins? I mean, Austin wins is maybe a better defender, but he can't hit either. I mean, yeah. he's not he's not a hitter. You, you might as well. And then people are clamoring to bring back Caleb Joseph. Oh, Guys, Caleb no, Joseph is no, the only player no. in the history of Major League Baseball to have a no homer, no RBI season. Might as well bring back Mike Piazza. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, come I, on. I would like, I would trust Mike Piazza <laughs> seriously, like more than anybody else right now. Uh, I'm, I'm telling you right now. Jonathan Lucroy and Matt Wieters are out there. Yes. A- and look, I'm not saying bring them in and they're going to play like they did five years ago. Defense, though. But their defense is going to be better. And right. they're, they're, Matt Wieters was still playing last year. Right. Th- these are guys who can still play the game. Lucroy was hitting 357 when yeah, the Angels DFA'd him. I was watching the, uh, the, the Nats game and Lucroy hit like a two run double in that Nats game that I was watching. So, like, he, he can still do it. He can still play defense. He can still hit a little bit. Bring we're, one of those guys we're in. We're not expecting these guys to come, come in and be all stars, but. Right. The Orioles have arguably the two worst catchers in baseball on their yes, major league roster, yes. and it's not really close. Fifty seventh and 59th in pitch framing. Yeah, fifty. Fi- how do you even get that bad? Like fifty seventh, fifty ninth. That's not even. I mean, what? <laughs> like, yeah. How are how are we doing this? How how are they still on a major league roster? I don't know. It, I, and it's it, it it's just very frustrating watching the Orioles have two of the worst catchers in baseball. Each of the last two years. Yeah. Look, we got to get out of here. Really long show today, but thanks for tuning into the battle round, guys. I know that every I, I'm vaccinated. Zach's vaccinated. We're getting a lot closer to that eighty percent where we can get back to normalcy, but we're still in it, guys. So everybody, wear your masks. Be socially distant. Stay healthy. Stay safe. We'll see you next week on the battle round. See ya.